That's what this is, you know. Satanic black magic. Sick shit. Who's they? You fooled all the people with magic. But instead of using the word conspiracy, I like to use the word scheme. Perhaps the devil himself was responsible. That is very Satan-y. We're ready to rock! This program contains mature subject matter. Including maladjusted youth, masochistic hillbillies, and the excitement of the price is right. It may be deemed inappropriate for our younger viewers. Viewer discretion advised. I would like, if I may, to take you on a straight <laughs> This show is behind the shims and schemes. I'm going to do it twice. I'm going to put on these glasses. I'm going to start eating that trash. Yeah, it's a nasty scheme. You maniacs! What is a man? What is BTS? When we are successful, we will be. We have a real chance to do And our faces is wearing thin. She packed my bags last night, pre-flight. Zero hour, 9 a.m. And I'm gonna be high as a kite by then. I think it's gonna be a long, long time Till touchdown brings me round again to find I'm not the man they think I am at home Oh no, no, no I'm a rocket man Rocket man Burning out his fuse out here Alone I think it's gonna be a long, long time Till touchdown brings me around again To find I'm not the man They think I am at home Oh, no, no, no I'm a rock-it man Rocket man Burning out his fuse out here Alone Blasting off, it's episode 99 of Behind the Schemes for May 30th, 2022, and not the man that they... Th- oh, God. <laughs> I biffed it. I'm not the man they think I am at home. I'm Booberry Black Knight of the Mothman. I stuck the landing, and all the way from way the hell over here on the Brev Coast where you gotta stop trying to make mass a thing. It's not gonna happen. Uh, my name is Lavish. Hey, and joining us tonight, we have a very special guest, uh, first time on the show. It's none other than the good Reverend Dr. Pfeiffer. How you doing? Hello, hello. Reporting from Missouri Ozarks, and uh, pretty excited. Pretty excited to be talking with you guys tonight. Reverend, 
Reverend, it's such a pleasure to have you, sir. Thanks for uh, sharing your evening with us. Oh, no problem. Um, boys, I'm like I said, I am jacked up and jitty. We're going to be talking about magic with a K. It's a crazy sex parties fueled by drugs, the original suicide, suicide Squad, and just blowing a bunch of shit up. Because we're going to be talking about Marvel, Whiteside, Jack Parsons. That is very oh. Satan-y. I, I thought you were just uh, following me around and filming me for my birthday weekend. But yeah, we're <laughs> yeah, yeah happy Jack birthday, Parsons Lavish. Too. Before, you, oh, without thanks. any further ado, yeah, congrats. <laughs> that's that's what I should have I should have blown something up this weekend. Should but we aside uh, from that, yeah, everything else. Sex magic, yeah. Should we that. initiate the birthday spankings? Oh Oh my. Oh <laughs> Well that'll do that it. stung the hand a little bit. <laughs> Better than coffee. <laughs> <laughs> oh lordy. Well, oh man, yes, that's it. We uh yesterday was my birthday, Ned Ned, and yes, today we're going to be talking about the great Jack Parsons, one of the uh influential uh kind of uh in, the integral guys in the US space program. Yeah, I mean you he is the darling of that this sort of romantic nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties, nineteen forties real American man who's going out there and, and and building what he wants to see happen. Mm-hmm. It's all using magic, using ritualistic sex orgies. Wow, hanging out with L. lots Ron of drugs, Hubbard. lots of drugs. It's gonna be a good time. <laughs> <laughs> He's a very interesting character for sure. And, you know, one that's kind of gotten swept under the rug, you know, post World War II, but is now making a bit of a resurgence, uh, both in the scientific and the cult community. So, mm-hmm. yeah, after uh, sort of just getting, um, oh shit, oh shit, everybody get back, get back, get back, get back, get back. Uh-oh. Oh, God damn it, behind the sandbags. Hell yeah. Hmm. We have a very, <laughs> very special Jack Parsons boot uh, boost for tonight, and that was uh, Serva with the thirty three thirty threes and Boosty Eli saying very satiny, pale satin, <laughs> soft and tender. Well, what do you guys say we kick this party off and we can get into tonight's tarot card? Sounds good. Very well. Very well. Uh, to mark this special episode, because it is episode 99, and we do have a special guest, and it's the one about Jack Parsons, I went ahead and dug out the uh, Thoth tarot deck that I have, which is famously the tarot <laughs> deck that Aleister Crowley commissioned. Yes. And from this deck, it actually jumped out at me. I didn't have a chance to draw it. But it is uh, number seven of the Major Arcana, labeled... The chariot. Keywords being, uh, well, it's in the sign of cancer. New beginnings, uh, change for the good, introspection, meditation, and the spiritual path. Interesting. And uh, this, I'm reading from the actual, uh, one of the guidebooks for the Thoth Tarot. Uh, I do have a link uh, in the show notes for tarotx.net. Um, but a brief excerpt from the book. The driver sits in a meditation posture in a chariot which has not yet begun to move. He is clothed in golden armor and is meditating on the Holy Grail which is rotating in his hands. The grail symbolizes the wheel of fortune. The driver is examining all possible consequences before daring to set the chariot in motion on a new beginning. 
For once the driver has chosen the start, there is no turning back. You just got to get in the car and drive. Uh, this card refers generally to imminent new beginnings. It can point to a journey or the start of a uh, new f- uh, new phase, whether it be relationship, living situation, job, uh, of life. Nothing should be decided precipitously. Everything requires exact examination and preparation. But once all the groundwork is done, the new start should not be put off unnecessarily. Everything points towards favorable developments. Mm-hmm. You are charging headlong into battle with uh, all of the balance and spiritual guidance that you should require. And chariots are no fucking joke, man. Rhodes oh, no. mess some motherfuckers up with those. <laughs> oh, the yeah. Egyptians, man. The mm-hmm. Egyptians conquered all that territory with chariots. It was great. They they really rocked it, you know. And Ben Hur was cool too. <laughs> uh, I watched that uh, on Easter. Man, that's a, that's a fun movie. That's a good one. Uh, that, some sorry, that race is not is no joke. They really <laughs> it looked. I was like, man, somebody died filming this because this is just like terrifying. <laughs> yes, uh, a couple of keywords for chariot as well: success, ambition, determination, willpower, control, self discipline, and focus. Yeah, because you got to main, maintain control of the vehicle at all times. You can't let your focus waver. Yeah, you have you to got, be focused you got on the horses. You got all those things to handle. Yeah. Uh, now, this book does offer up a question. What area of your life will be changing? Are you ready to ring out the old and ring in the new? And a suggestion is to seek or create for yourself a loving, secure environment. There, uh, there you can plan the change or journey. Your body also needs uh, attention and activity now. And uh, as a final affirmation, I am putting my life in order and preparing for the new beginning. Cool. This is, uh, and by far, I think the Thoth Tarot is my favorite uh, art out of all the decks combined. Um, I would highly recommend uh, folks getting out there on the interwebs and giving a T, uh, what is it, T-H-O-T-H? Yeah. Uh, giving it a search. Mm-hmm. Some gorgeous stuff. A little aside about the Th- the Thoth Tarot deck there is that's the primary reason the Agape Lodge of the OTO in Pasadena or LA was was founded was basically to try to extract some money out of rich Californians so that Crowley could afford to publish the the Thoth Tarot deck. And of course, it never happened in his lifetime, but it did eventually happen mm, posthumously. Yes, I didn't know that. Good old, uh, I like uh, the uh, Agape Lodge. Is that how it's pronounced? Yeah. Yeah, because to me it just looks like a gape. It just seems like a, <laughs> a sex joke. You know, well, it's always funny when somebody reads it like that. So. Really was a, a prankster like that. Oh, boy. <laughs> if you would like to see this card that we've drawn for tonight, it's posted up at the top of our show notes over at zosascorner.substack.com. You can... Head over there to our Substack uh, if you would like. We you can sign up for an email subscription, and all of our show notes for every week get emailed directly into your inbox. It's pretty cool. It's got a bunch of art and links and videos and memes and notes and whole and sorts of shit. And gifts and all kinds of fun. Yeah, it's quite the visual element. Uh, if you're not getting it, then you're missing out a big part of the show. Yep. And I, I do like the work you put into that booberry. I enjoy seeing those all the time. 
It's honestly, it's what <laughs> keeps me on track to get the stuff done every week. Um, cause I know by now what sections need to be filled out. And if I can't fill the sections out, then that means that work still needs to get done. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's, it's just as useful, uh, for me. Um, nice little fill in the blank action. Yeah. yeah. Go check it out. So those corners.substack.com. Yep. And this is corner singular. Yes. And I know that uh, a lot of other Substacks you can sign up for subscription models. Uh, unfortunately, we don't offer that over there on uh, Zoso's Corner because it is part of our value for value production, meaning we don't uh don't take any advertisers or commercial dollars or anything of the sort so that we can get on the air and talk about just how incredibly satany California was. Uh, back in the day, and still is to this day. It still is. It's uh, it's it's just as satany. It's just as incredibly satany. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They just have to hide it better. Now we do. Uh, we do. Like I said, have a special boost for tonight. It's Jack Parsons' boost. If you want to get in on that action, which means to send micro payments of Bitcoin in real time on the fly to any of any of the shows that are supporting it, go over. Check yourself out an app at nudepodcastapps.com. Yes, indeed. Get one that you can do some boost in action out of. Yeah, it's fun. You know, cryptocurrencies. It's hot. It's new. It's hip. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, it's always appreciating in value when it isn't depreciating in value. (laughs) Uh, Very correct. (laughs) Lavish, did you have anything else for the value for value model? Oh, that's it. It's just uh, everybody who listens is is a producer, and if you contribute to the show, you're even more of a producer. And if you uh, give us, uh, you know, financial contributions or help us in any way with the show, give us ideas or conversations, well, then you're you're more than just a producer. You're a freak of hazard, which means you're you really are producing the show. You're one of us. You're you're a weirdo <laughs> like us. That is very satany. Hell yeah, it is. <laughs> and we appreciate that. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, we hi- highly, highly, highly encourage it. You can head over to badradio.live or behindtheschemes.com. We also got emails at boo at behindtheschemes.com and, of course, lavish at behindtheschemes.com. That's right. Catch us there. I am the public radio now. What is a number? A miserable little pile of secrets. But enough, boost. How about you? Oh, Wow. The world is rudderless. And I'm gonna be high. Do a commercial, you're off the artistic roll call. Every word you say is suspect. You're a corporate whore, and uh, end of story. Put on your 3D glasses now. Hail set. Is that me over there? Like nailed to the cross? Oh. Carblanes, did you cut off our our phone number, Carblanes? Man, it was you eventually her. developed a coke habit. <laughs> Thank you, Fletcher. <laughs> you eventually developed a coke habit. Uh, just got a new ISO. Um. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going on with Resonance. I just, 
I'm at my wits end, man. Need to find well, need yeah. to find a solution. Of course. We're all at our wits end. And if you want to give us a call and scream into our scream mail because you're at your wits end, you can give us a call at 612-263-7999. Let us know. And is this one silence? We might have a voicemail of silence. Oh, silent mail. Silent man. Who's they? Oh? No, okay. All right. Uh, let's, well, the same caller called back. Let's see what they got. Um. Hmm. This one. Caller yeah. sending in ghost VMs. Now, this one is two minutes and 40 seconds. Oh, pure silence? Let's see. Silence. 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 All right. Well, hmm. thank thank you for that caller. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll go straight into this next one. Thank you. It's Monday. Monday. Hi guys. Hello. Battles here. Hello there. And uh, I'm talking to Lavash and uh, Blueberry Mothman of the Eight Ball Corner Pocket. Uh, yeah, eight balls. Christmas oh, yeah. paper. Uh, yeah. Retro lamp. I don't know, I'm just in the shed right now. I'm looking at things. Anyway, uh, yeah. So the screen for today is gonna be. We all do it. Probably we. Hopefully we keep continue to get better at it. But when we just kind of we see the people regularly see people, you know, family members and laws, whatever and whatnot. And there's not really any greeting. It's just to kind of automatically do something. Hey, can you do this? And you're like, I had that happen the other day. It got pointed out, and I don't really care. But kind of just used whatever. Anyway, but yeah. So my little scream is just. Ah! Then you get on with it, you know. But my wife yeah. pointed out to the person and. They apologized and, you know, but it was kind of that checking. Check for myself, too, because sometimes, you know, you see those family members, you know, like whatever in-laws or people you don't necessarily see on the daily, but you see them so regularly, it's just kind of, kind of forget to kind of just say howdy and check in or whatever. So anyway, not a big thing, but yeah, so that's the screen for today. It's a Monday. All right. Well, it's a Monday. love you guys. Stay dangerous. Fly, my Hawkman. <laughs> did you guys get the day off work? Yes. I did. Yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. Very legal. Christopher Battles, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Christopher Battles. Yeah. Every time, yeah, you know, you're with your girl and she's like, hey, this is my mom. And you go, ah. <laughs> No, you, you, you're with your girl, and you meet her mom, and then you say... But that's what this is, you know. Satanic black magic. Sick shit. <laughs> or perhaps... Java devil, you are now my bitch. <laughs> hey, this is girlfriend's mom. Have, I spent you so- all of last night drawing sigils on your, on the, your daughter's back. <laughs> <laughs> I was drawing all kinds of shit in your daughter's back. Oh boy! 
Well, so do you know about school shootings, ma'am? And then you go from there. <laughs> yes. Do <laughs> you know why he shouldn't have had $5,000 worth of armament? <laughs> oh, boy. I'm so much fun at, at Christmas, at, at holidays, weekends. doesn't matter. I perform. Clown ma- clown makeup included. <laughs> <laughs> and I even come with my own hazmat suit. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we only have one other screen mail right now. Well, let's keep that in the tin. Yes. Just in case we need a snack down the trail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and maybe it'll cure. You know, maybe it'll get finer like a wine with age. Indeed. And uh, just based off of a conversation that Pfeiffer and I had last night, uh, unless um, you say otherwise, Lavish, I think we'll just roll straight into Pfeiffer's presentation for tonight, and then you and I can uh, tag team the second, second half of the show. Hell yeah. Let's do it, baby. I want to hear about this JP. All right, Pfeiffer. Floor is yours, man. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, So we've already introduced Jack, but... uh, he was a rocket engineer, chemist, and occultist in the early 20th century who spent basically his whole life in the Los Angeles area. And, and through sheer will alone, he helped bring rocketry from basic scientific obscurity to a critical reason the Allies won the Second World War and eventually got mankind off planet. But speaking of weirdos, he was a complete weirdo, you know, hosting those drug-fueled occultist sex parties with little regard to protecting his career reputation so this is the man that Theodoric von Karman called a delightful screwball. And uh, Jack has become both an inspiration and a cautionary tale for people that find similarity, similarities to Jack in their own lives. So to get into it, he was, uh, he was born Marvel Whiteside Parsons on August 2nd, 1940, 1914, sorry, at the Good Samaritan Hospital in, in L.A. Um, his parents were Ruth Virginia Whiteside and Marvel H. Parsons, so he was named after his dad. Um, they had moved to L.A. the previous year after their first child was stillborn. And so the, uh, they moved from Massachusetts, where um, Ruth came from money. The Whitesides were wealthy um, through manufacturing, I believe. And uh, so, you know, just kind of that little heartbreak of the kid, and they moved to uh, L.A. And, and they were from she, kind of an old, like, Protestant family, too, right? Yeah, generally. I mean, he wasn't raised religious. Okay. But, but, uh, so yeah, they moved out to LA and she almost immediately got pregnant, you know, as soon as they got out there with, with little Marvel. Um, but unfortunately LA proved to be a little bit too much for Marvel senior. And he started an affair with a prostitute before Jack was even born. And, um, so, you know, he, uh, Ruth kicked Marvel senior out the first few months of Jack's life. And, she, you know, she filed for divorce and he sent a lot of cringy letters, like basically pleading with her, like it's you know it's 1914, everybody's doing it, stuff like that. And he got to like, please don't name me an adulterer in the divorce, which she did. And uh, back in 1914, like being an adulterer was kind of more of a big deal, like being publicly named one. So he uh, went back to Massachusetts in disgrace, and she basically forbid him from communicating with Jack until you know Jack was an adult. Um, no you know, he'd write her these, he'd write her these letters, be just like, can you just please tell me how, the, how this, you know, the child is doing and things like that. And she just cold ghosted him. Wow. <laughs> Some things never change. <laughs> right. So, so Jack did grow up without a father. Um, and it wasn't 
I mean, it was his father's fault, but also kind of like his mom definitely was pissed. Right. And there wasn't, uh, there wasn't any other sort of father figure around Parsons, right? Well, um, actually shortly after this, uh, uh, Ruth's parents moved to Pasadena because they're wealthy too, and they were getting close to retirement age. So they're just like, "Hey, let's uh, let's just move to Pasadena." So they uh, moved there and, and bought a, a big mansion on Orange Grove Avenue, which you know, little place in Pasadena known as Millionaire's Mile. At least it was at the time. Yeah, one of the so, uh, one of the things I learned was um, uh, the Bush patriarch had a mansion that was neighboring Parsons uh, <laughs> Parsonage. Yeah, and Augustus Bush, too, for, like, the Bush Gardens. Yeah, and, uh, Augustus, yeah, that was him. Probably had connections yeah, so they, with like, the Yeah, like, Bush Gardens were kind of, like, behind there. Yep. You know, but so was big into oil. I, I, I'd imagine they were involved in all that. Yeah. I mean, basically, it was just magnates, 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 and you know, the part of the Whiteside family. So his his childhood was actually idyllic. I mean, he's pretty solitary because he didn't really have any friends of his own. But uh, he did live with his grandpa and, and his grandma and his mom, and they had these servants and everything. Um, so he didn't really have any friction or worries growing up. You know, he he, uh, he was free to dive into the world of his imagination, and he was you know privately tutored. He just read like a mother. He loved King Arthur tales, you know, adventure. Uh, Jules Verne, the, the sci-fi, and also he had a subscription to Amazing Stories. So, that, you know, he was a big sci-fi nerd and fantasy nerd. So, like, this all sparked his imagination. And he, from a young age, he was just obsessed with using rockets to get mankind off planet. And, uh, you know, to that end, you know, his grandpa kind of taught him to scrape fireworks when he was a ki- kid. And uh, this was actually a pretty common hobby at the time. Uh seems like the youth of Pasadena had pretty much turned the Arroyo Seco into a, a blasting range, basically, because they were scraping fireworks and building cherry bombs and stuff like that. Mm. Well, I'm sure at the time, with not many people out there, you're certainly attracting attention. It's going to, it's gonna, you know, call people over. What is this huge fucking ex- noise that I heard? We'll run over there and yeah. check it out. And next thing you know, you're helping this dude fucking glue together firecrackers and cherry bombs and whatnot. Yep. So he, you know, he had a young interest in explosives that way, um, but you know the, the idyllic life that Jack had, kind of hanging out at the mansion with Grandpa, it ended somewhat when he turned twelve, and he had to enter the mainstream education system. So Jack goes to public school in Pasadena, uh, Washington Junior High, and you really got to set the tone for this. His first day of school, he shows up, driven in his grandpa's limo. Wearing a full three-piece suit with a vest, and he was kind of a chubby kid too, just this and kind of a fat, just really. He was the most bully, bullyable kid, ever, <laughs> at the time, probably. Mm-hmm. So, um, he was a, he was a, um, he had this really weird New England rich people accent. I think that's called a Brahmin accent. It's one that's almost gone now, mm-hmm. but. Um, so for a really smart kid, you know, he's clever, really clever, really bright. Um, but his biographer, George Pendle, thinks that he had undiagnosed dyslexia. And that's why he never really did well in school. He did pretty terribly in school. Mm. Um, and he, but because of his weird manners and his, you know, just, he just kind of showed up this weird rich kid 
one day. He hadn't really grown up in school with these other kids. And so he got bullied a ton and he got the shit kicked out of him pretty often. Um, so uh, one day in eighth grade, he was actually getting it pretty bad. And this hall monitor, two years older than him, notices a commotion going on. And he comes over and he sees Jack on the ground, like I said, just getting the shit kicked out of him. He tackles the other boy, breaks his nose, runs him off, and reaches the hand down to help Jack up. And Jack looks up, reaches his hand up, and takes the hand of Ed fucking Foreman. So this is a, this is a good guy in our story. Ed Foreman is the best buddy of best buddies. And they were friends for Jack's entire life. Yeah, the, the ride or die pal. Yeah, Ed followed Jack down every weird path he went down. Including but, you know, the suicide was, club or squad. Including the suicide squad, yep. He, you know, they ended up doing the rocket stuff together. But they were just inseparable friends from after that. Um, you know, Ed was from a working class family. And he, he toughened Jack up quite a bit and helped him out with the bullies. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of just round because he was working class and, and Jack had never really been exposed to that. He kind of just rounded out Jack's personality in that way. And in turn, mm-hmm. Jet, you know, Ed got access to Jack's really, uh, his sci-fi knowledge. You know, he was really into that as well as the wealth for the hobbies, which almost immediately included that they quickly found out that they both really loved blowing shit up. <laughs> which is a great thing to bond over. Let's be real. Yeah. So by 1928, most of their free time was basically spent. These, you know, these are teenagers at this point. They're spent scraping fireworks, uh, building their own rockets and explosives, and just yeeting them off in the desert over at the Arroyo. Um, they were kind of more than just hobbyists. They were really uh, Jack and Ed were enthusiasts, and so they they actually took a Latin motto for themselves and everything like that, which you might have heard before: "Per aspera at astra, through hardship to the stars," which is still being used by various you know, astrological entities today, including, you know, Tom DeLong's outfit, the two to stars Academy and, uh, NASA uses ad Astra all over the place. But, uh, but that they were both obsessed with using rockets to get to the moon. And interestingly, during this time, there were actually pen pals with a guy in Germany named Werner von Braun. You might've heard of him. <laughs> something, something paperclip. Famed <laughs> Nazi scientist, rocket scientist. Yeah. Now, this is before there were Nazis, really. This is in 1928. But, um, so they were actually pen pals with him and actually talked to him on the phone. But they kind of cut that off when they got the feeling that they were giving out a lot more information than they were giving. I'm sorry, giving out a lot more information than they were receiving from Von Braun. He was playing kind of coy with his own research. But like I said, they were just like, they were just hobbyists at the time. But, uh. And he probably worked for the government, for the German government, right? Maybe not at the time, but um, probably getting close. Uh-huh. Um, they probably ended up funding Werner von Braun before you know the the Suicide Squad got funded over there. Mm-hmm. But uh, so this is about the same time that Jack actually f- took his first forays into the occult as well. And Boober, are you gonna like this? He summoned the devil. Hell yeah! Hell Satan! Right. Hail Satan! He got him. He got an audience. May the Luciferian like, light of reason guide you on your way. <laughs> he was about 12 at the time, and he would later describe it as like a magical fiasco that kind of put him off further study of the occult for uh, several years. Now, he hinted that like something had happened, and it shook him up, but he never really provided details. Mm. So, but just as interesting, you know, it's like he just went full, you know, 
if you're going to get into occultism as a 12 year old, why not go full send and just summon the devil? And he, but, he got the idea from reading comic books, right? I believe so. Yeah. yeah. yeah he's a huge nerd. So, which I, I, maybe it adds a little more credence to the, uh, the, the God, I can't remember the name of the comic book, uh, etiquette or board, whatever it's called. The decency act. Yeah. The, yeah, the CCB or something like that. I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. They, they probably won't don't allow that the summoning of Satan anymore in comic books. Comic but, comic ethics board, a uh, comics code authority. That's the one. CCA. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. They were they were all in a tizzy because they thought that kids reading comic books would lead them to worshiping the devil and being dropouts and and turning into drug abusers and <laughs> so on and so forth. Well, you know that might be true. Yeah, that I mean, kind of happened to Jack. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like now, now that it sounds like they have a little bit of a case for an argument. <laughs> yeah, yep. yeah. You know, so, hindsight's 2020. 20. In uh, 1929, Jack actually enters high school, and uh, it was John Muir High School there in Pasadena. And despite Ed being there, uh, Jack was still getting bullied and beat up quite a bit, and he was still a terrible student. Like, just not a good school. And his mother, Ruth, was aware of these issues and decided that Jack needed kind of some more discipline and toughening. And so she makes the decision to send him to military school. Jack did not like military school. Yeah, and, bet, uh, especially then. Well, he was expelled shortly because, uh, according to Ed Foreman's future wife, Jean, he, he blew up all the goddamn toilets in the place. <laughs> so he just cherry bombed all the toilets and got expelled. Well, there you go. This guy wasn't so dumb after all, was he? He was a genius with explosives. Like just natural, it just came to him naturally. Everything he ever learned about explosives, he just absorbed into himself. So, yeah. Um, so while mil- middle t- military school didn't really have the effect that Jack's mother wanted, it did kind of improve his reputation back at the public school because now he's like a bad boy that blew up all the toilets in the military school. You know. Mm, he's got so street cred. He was gone, but now he's back. He's the new improved Jack. And that's kind of when Jack kind of starts to get slick socially, too. Like, he's starting to learn to be more social with people. But He's growing into his own. But if you remember what else happened in 1929, the, uh, the, the stock market uh, the crashed. Yeah. Yes. And the ensuing depression hit the white side fortune particularly hard. So they start losing the majority of their money almost right away. Um, and really, you know, his grandfather only lived two more years. He died in 1931 and it's probably, you know, probably stress related, cutting his life short a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so the, the white sides, they use what money they have left to send Jack to, uh, the private, it's called the university school, which is, um, once it's one of these college prep kind of things, I probably a proto Montessori kind of thing where they use more of a hands-on non-traditional teaching method. Mm-hmm. And Jack actually really, you know, from his previous problems at school, he actually did really well at this school. Um, so he kind of thrived until he graduated there in, in 1933. And and during this time, he also picked up a part-time job at the Hercules Powder Company, um, which, you know, manufacturing uh, chemical powders and explosives. And, th- you know, so he's really starting to do this part-time and pick up even more information. You know, he was running around just asking people all kinds of questions and learning as much as he could while he was there. No better uh, way to learn than just thrusting yourself into it. 
And, Ew. And, <laughs> and unfortunately, at this time, uh, Ed has to drop out of high school because he's got to earn money too. So um, Ed actually never finishes high school. But so keep that in mind as we go through the story to what Jack and Ed end up doing later on in life and the kind of things, you know, the kind of clearances they have and everything like that. Uh, but, you know, when they're not working or in class, they're, they're out in the Arroyo blowing shit up. And they just love making rockets. Mm. Um, after graduation, Jack enrolled at Pasadena Junior College to work towards an associate's degree in chemistry and physics. But he only made it one term. Like, they just couldn't afford it. Um, because the the white side's fortunes was was just in shambles at this point, and this is you know which is kind of you know Jack was the heir apparent. Um, his grandfather only had his mother Ruth, and R- Ruth only had the one child Jack. So you know he was the heir apparent to that fortune, and all of a sudden there just wasn't a fortune anymore. Wow. Um, so it's about this time that Jack actually meets his future first wife, Helen Northrup. Um, now Helen, to put it in hockey player terms, ha- Helen's a beauty. Like she, not only she, she is good looking, but she is just a sweet, um, caring, thoughtful woman. And she really carries Jack through the first part of his, you know, his adult life. Uh, she's about four years older than him and she came from a really shitty household. Uh, she had this abusive piece of shit stepfather. Uh, she actually at 22 wasn't really allowed to date until she brought Jack by and uh and he just charmed this piece of shit stepdad you know he shows <laughs> up wearing a suit um he seems well educated you know well brought up and yeah so the stepdad gives it a pass and uh they start um dating and they take astrology classes together and they attend lectures on various mysticism uh, like you guys mentioned pasadena in this time was really spooky Mm-hmm. It's all <laughs> attracting all sorts of weird folks. Yeah, you know, you've got theosophists, you got, you know, Thelemites, uh, you have New Age people, you've got Hindis, you've got uh, Buddhists, you've got everything going on. You've so there was no. Sh- starting out. Yeah, there's no shortage of, of various uh, mysticism that you can get into at this point pretty easily. Um, he proposed to Helen in 1934, and he gave her a big ring and it says something about jack parsons he also gave her a handgun to protect it oh hey. wow. thinking ahead <laughs> based yeah yeah you should have given um, her a grenade too or something a handmade grenade well, boy he was casual with his his explosives too one time they were riding in the car uh out to i guess they were going out to blow some rockets up and she's sitting in the back seat because ed and jack are sitting in the front seat talking about rockets uh, she lifts up the carpet in the back seat, and there's just a bunch of sticks, sticks of dynamite sitting under the carpet. And she's just like, uh, Jack, is this safe? And he kind of just looks back at it, and he's just like, don't worry, the detonator's up here. But, <laughs> but He said that he had yeah, a so reputation uh, that, you know, people, the scientists said that he was a very cautious man, that he, that he exerted a lot of um, uh, caution, I suppose. You kind of get both stories. Out of, from various people, I think it kind of depends on what point in his life they were interacting and working with Jack. Because sometimes he was very casual, and people mm-hmm. remember that. And but you know, maybe later in his life when he was really getting his shit together, you know, he was being more cautious, mm-hmm. except for that last one. 
But uh, <laughs> it only takes one. <laughs> Allegedly. That's true. <laughs> it comes to explosive just once is all you need. So uh, he had caught the eye of you know the managers at the Hercules Powder Company. And in order to provide money for he and Helen to live together, uh, he took a job at the main plant in Her- Hercules, California, uh, for a short time. Was, I'm thinking it's like over a summer. The dates, I didn't really get the dates on it, but um, he was actually working. So this is like several hours from Pasadena. I think Hercules is near San Francisco. Is that right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, okay. it's not too far from me. So you know, he was separated from Helen and Ed during this time, but he seemed to really enjoy the work. Um, the place was a hellhole, but I think that he saw something in himself that needed to be hardened by working hard at this plant. And uh, mm. so he was getting nitroglycerin headaches daily. Uh, he was working his ass off. But he really, uh, you know, as he put it in a letter to Helen, he said, the, the, the iron must come out. He's like, I'm glad it's hot, hard. The iron must come out. So he's kind of mm. seeing himself as maybe getting rid of some of that... Um privileged upbringing that he got and preparing to you know work for a living giving himself a little baptism with fire yeah and, and which is kind of like an alchemical transformation in and of itself yeah you know, he's point. tempering yeah. his his own soul and his own body yeah his mind even like in reality being just encompassed by all these chemicals throughout all times of the day and night in and in, in employment and in his enjoyment just chemicals says, everywhere i am the chemicals <laughs> yeah you know if jack hadn't come to you know an early tragic end i'm not actually sure how much longer he would have lived naturally because he's probably just gotten chock full of cancer at some point yeah sure because uh, you know he just was there wasn't a i mean it was still the the 40 the 30s and 40s there wasn't a lot of workplace safety going on with yeah, these, OSHA, the handling come, these. OSHA came and ruined it all. That's right. But, uh, oh, sorry, Jack, you're going to have to, we have a, a glove mandate now. <laughs> a gentleman's hands are always clean. I need not gloves. <laughs> well, Jack's hands weren't that clean. Uh, uh, Jack, after- <laughs> Jack, you're going to need to put this mask on for us. <laughs> a what? <laughs> well, we think you, should, you could breathe better if you have it on. I, I, I can breathe just fine. Hold on, let me throw down a ritualistic sex orgy here, real quick. That should provide me the protection I'm looking for. I don't need gloves. I have Babylon watching me. <laughs> well, Jack wasn't quite there yet, but yeah. Um, so well, we're talking. We're, finish- talk- we're talking later in his life. Oh right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after returning to after finishing up his stint at the main plant there for Hercules, uh, he returned to Pasadena. He still had aspirations of getting a degree, and he was accepted into Stanford during this time. But um, this college run was abandoned as well, just because he got in there and was like, "Oh, can't afford it." You know, even though he'd saved up a little bit of money, you know, the life that he was trying to build with with Helen and all that just wasn't gonna swing with going to college. Um. So Jack and Ed return to blowing shit up in the Arroyo. The boys are back in town, right? Sorry, Jack's wait. back. He's, he's got this. He's like, I can't go to college. It's ten dollars a month. Sorry, <laughs> I can't afford it. I only make thirteen dollars a month. I can't. I can't swing it. Sorry, honey. I think he was making a hundred dollars a month at that Hercules plant, which is actually $100 pretty good. A month. So that's like that's like what a thousand dollars now. 
And not it. not to not to mention the uh, chemicals that he's you know helping fall off the back of trucks. If you <laughs> know what I'm saying, Yo, well, yeah, yeah. Jack to was known to chemicals, you know. When Jack was was hard up for money, uh, he was known to bootleg some nitroglycerin. No doubt. Why not? Why not? But uh, so they they returned to blowing shit up in the uh, the Arroyo, but they weren't really achieving the results with their rockets that they were hoping for. Because uh, ro- rocketry, it's it, there's a reason that there's a phrase called it's not rocket science. Um, to, to refer to <laughs> something that's uh, difficult. Because uh, it requires a, a knowledge of chemistry, mechanics, and mathematics in order to like pull it off right. And while Jack and Ed had the first two covered, like they had the chemistry, Jack they had Jack, they had the mechanical chops, they had Ed. You know, he's the one that was building the rockets, mm. but uh, they didn't have the math chops to like improve their formulas and, and basically do the work on that. They weren't side. trained physicists. Or edu- no, you know, educated no. in that way. Ed was a, Ed was a high needed- school dropout, and, and Jack only had a high school diploma. Right. Uh, with uh, Ed being the, on the mechanical side, they also need to build parts, like they, like smelting and, and casting, uh, and that element as well. And that's that's its own art and science in and of itself. But I know that they were very innovative in creating... Yeah. castable parts to rockets eventually yeah and that's and that's a lot of you know jack would sketch these things out and ed would just do them like he was a very gifted mechanical engineer just naturally mm. so you know even without the education you know, he was able to fabricate things one other thing that i really appreciated about uh or that i learned while reading up on this was that rocket science at the time was considered quackery <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is now, science fiction nonsense. There was some rocket work going on, but it was all you know based around putting rockets on planes. So you know they weren't the first launching them at other people. <laughs> the the definite idea that uh, rockets could get you to the moon, which Jack and Ed were just fully behind, that was definitely quackery. Mm-hmm. Like that would got you like. Well, Goddard got laughed out of town. For doing his rocket work. He's like, hey, I think mm-hmm. we could do these rocket things. And, and people really just mocked him until he moved out to Roswell and just stopped talking about his work. Yeah. Yeah. Some people are so ahead of their time. You yeah. have to be a psycho occultist weirdo to, to be getting into this sort of thing and not care what other people think. And that's kind of the, one of Jack's downfalls is, you know, he follows his he follows his will and he doesn't care what people think. And especially when those, so when his career and his occult studies kind of are at odds with his reputation, mm-hmm. he just he just doesn't care. <laughs> it's the horse he rode in on. So, you know, so like I said, they didn't really have the math math chops, but they did know where some eggheads were at. So they started hanging around Caltech and going to you know ran, random uh, lecture here. You know, just kind of just poking around to see if they could find somebody who was interested in rockets. And after uh, after going to one lecture where they just kind of casually mentioned rockets, Jack and Ed go up to this guy after after the lecture and they say, "Hey, well, do you know who we can talk to about rockets?" And the guy was like, "Rockets? <laughs> we're doing science here, buddy. Like, we're talking about rockets." <laughs> but they're 
please. Well, we do have this one guy. So th- he, they get introduced to Frank Molina, mathematician and mechanical engineer. And they start pounding around with him. And, and after a few trips out to the Royal to blow stuff up, uh, Molina's in. He's ready to go. And so thus, the core triumvirate of the group that came to be known as the Suicide Squad had formed. And, you know, there, there are the more... suiciding commence. And it, was they, a, it was a trio, right? So you get some, uh, you're already getting some, like, Holy Ghost, the Father and the, and the Son yeah. symbology in there. Power now, while there, threes. Yeah. While there are other people that will be involved in the Suicide Squad and all that, uh, they the kind of rotated in and out. This was the core three that just kept it going the entire time. Mm. Um, so they applied for funding for their research uh, through, through Molina, since he was a graduate student there. Uh, they applied for funding for the research at the Guggenheim Aeronautical Laboratory, also known as Galsit. Um, so the first person they submit this to was the head of the state-of-the-art wind tunnel program, and he just flat-out rejected them, like right off the bat. He thought it was the stupidest thing ever. <laughs> uh, after much digging, I was actually able to find exclusive audio of this exchange. Uh, let me pull back through the archives. And, ah, here it is. So this is uh, this is his response seeing to, to seeing the information about their research. And all the science I don't understand. <laughs> yes, written by, uh, uh, recorded by Hidden Phonograph. <laughs> and transcribed on wax cylinders. Thank you, Pooberry. What a find. I know. It was, it was, uh, uh, it was most of my four days off. I was just trying to... <laughs> Get that three seconds of a gag to work. <laughs> so after they got rejected by that guy, it's like Lena was just like, okay, hang on, let's try this again. And so they go over his head to the head of Galset itself, a guy by the name of Theodore von Karman. Uh, so after rolling, you know, von Karman seemed to really like Jack. There, there are certain people that just got charmed by Jack. And, uh, so he molded the proposal over, and he he approved the boys the use of the facility's specialist equipment. But he, because of the the, the depression was still going on, uh, Galset couldn't provide them any funding. But you know, like I said, they were now attached to Galset. So even though they had to fund their own research, they had some measure of you know legitness. Mm-hmm. They're now official, and the Galset Rocket Research Group was born. And keep in mind. Ed is a high school dropout. Jack only has a high school diploma. And now they're basically rubbing shoulders with all these, like the best and brightest of the science world that are at Caltech. And these other people are just like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Someone like who the are these guys from the streets. Of course, well, because now there's just all these explosions rocking the <laughs> campus all the time. You can go by a certain building. That's why they called them the Suicide Squad. Is just because like people would walk in this building and something was always blowing up, or there was an industrial accident that killed all the grass outside of it. Like well, they're probably getting injured. Probably get like shrapnel in their arms and shit every now and again. Like, hey, you, you almost died again. Good for you. <laughs> they almost die a bunch of times. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to get too deep or off tangent on the uh, on the TV show. But there was one scene where they were sneaking chemicals in, and they were rolling a big fifty gallon drum across the lawn, and it was just leaking uh, fluid out the entire way over. <laughs> so there's these big streaks of dead grass through the lawns of uh, Caltech. 
and the, and what what's happening at the, at the same time is that Jack and Ed were in the laboratory lighting off a rocket, which malfunctioned and sprayed a bunch of that same chem- chemical throughout the laboratory. And it did the same thing it did to the grass. It just rusted all these instruments oh, instantly. Uh, just <laughs> oxidized it. Ruined it. So, you know, this Gaussic group, the rocket research group, they were hanging out socially too. Um, you know, just uh, Jack and Helen's house going out. Uh, Jack was brewing absinthe in the basement. And so they're just drinking absinthe. Of course, you got to do out. a little of that too. They're sp- so starting, to smoke the, starting to smoke the devil's lettuce. <laughs> especially uh frank molina and 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 parsons um they did that's what I, I i read that they were big fans of uh of the holy herb were uh so they were hanging out so- socially like i said with helen and in april 1935 helen and jack were married and in an in- interesting story about this at the end of the ceremony jack forgot to kiss her like he just straight up forgot to kiss her. Motherfucker was thinking about rockets. <laughs> Is this a <laughs> euphemism? No, he just was yeah, obsessed. Was kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> he was not a good partner. Uh, yeah, I mean, he was a, he was a fun guy, but you know, when it comes to a reliable husband, he's not really there. You know, just kind of absent-minded. Mm. Absent, yeah. I think that would be a good word to describe it. Yeah. You could even say the fireworks were gone. <laughs> but uh so at this time Jack was working at another explosives manufacturer, the Halifax Powder Company. But he was using almost all of his wages for the rocket research. And so uh, well not just almost all of it, like all of it because he's even asking Helen for money. So cuz she's working <laughs> too. So they have to, you know, so Helen's funding this rocket research as well, which makes her a very important uh, person in the rocket story too. Because without her funding, there's quite a possibility it never would have gotten off the ground, so to speak. But uh, kind of a hey. funny story. <laughs> it would have all blown up in his face. Yep, he wouldn't um, be able to get the rockets off the ground without the money. Apparently, yeah. like when they when they'd come to ask for money, she'd make them put on aprons and clean the house before she'd give it to them. Oh, I see. You know, now this might lead to a couple of sex parties, if you know, if you know what I mean. Well, I don't think they're there yet. But. <laughs> no, this is the beginning of it. This is how these things start. Uh, we, you make the sure. man wear an apron and clean up for you, and then we're getting close. We we should apologize. We're just we're just very excited to get to the orgies. Um, yes, we're getting, yeah. we're getting close. Yeah, I know. These orgies. We got to do a little bit more rockets. Still. <laughs> sorry, sorry, but sorry. Please, please, yeah, please, please. Yes, sorry. All right. I mean, to so, jump the gun. The first test of their liquid-fueled rocket was on Halloween of 1936 in a place called the Devil's Gate Dam. Um, it was kind of a disaster. Uh, it failed to light several times until it uh, little bit lit a little bit too much. Uh, so the rocket was on fire. The oxygen tube snapped. It's spraying oxygen straight through the fire. And basically, this is, this is where that picture... Um, the famous picture of them kind of laying on the ground behind the, the sandbags comes from is while they're doing this test. So they lit off the, the rocket and they just had this wall of fire chasing them as they tried to get behind those sandbags. <laughs> oh shit. Oh shit. Oh shit. Oh shit. Oh shit. <laughs> but it didn't yeah, work. It didn't work. It didn't work. 
so while that was a disaster, they were just like, hey, we learned some stuff. And, uh, you know, work continued. And by 1937, they had been successful enough that they were given an on-campus testing facility, which would really be the place where they had earned the nickname the Suicide Squad. And so they also received a weird anonymous donation of $1,000 for the research. Oh. Um, mm. and, and the only attachment came with, was that this dude named uh, Weld, Weld Arnold, would get to take picture, would have to take pictures of him, like to document it or something. I don't know if the anonymous donor was Weld Arnold and that was just like some kind of pseudonym. I, I don't know what was going on there. But, you know, after a while, Weld Arnold just left and, you know, they, but they had a thousand bucks, which, you know, kept them funded for well, a year. Or more. some random rich LA guy that was like, what these guys are doing is cool. I want to be part of it. Yep, most likely. But, uh, I mean, uh, so the funding issues were no longer as pressing. Helen wasn't really having to fund them anymore and they were going to have a little bit more fun. And this is about the time that Jack was called to be an expert witness in the car bombing and attempted murder of a police whistleblower by a captain on the LAPD force. Um, so, you know, Jack came in to do this testimony. He basically, you know, figured out what the bomb was, how it was built. He basically reconstructed the bomb for the jury. Uh, apparently he had, you know, he's making the jury laugh. He really had him eaten out of his hands. And, uh, that uh, police captain was convicted largely on Jack's testimony. And this kind of made Jack a minor celebrity in LA. Hmm. And he'd, he'd get called to be expert witness a few more times in his life. But, you know, he was known as the Caltech explosives guy, which he did enjoy being known as the Caltech explosives guy, considering he never graduated from Caltech <laughs> <laughs> or from college at all. Right. Um, by early 1938, they had done so much development on their liquid fuel rocket that had gone from burning for like three seconds to burning for over a minute. But by the end of 1938, the the squad was pretty much back down to the core three. Like all these other people that were joined, you know, getting in on the rocket research group, they had other careers to fall back onto. So it's just kind of something they were doing. Yeah, it's but a, it's but a hobby for, for them. but for everybody, like for Ed and Jack, that's all they have. They've all their funding, you know, all their um, investment into it, like would just be gone if they quit. Like they hadn't been investing in anything else, and you know, Frank was still into it. Um, so, like I said, it's kind of back down to the core three, and they're they're getting ready to retool. Now, 1939 were would be the year where Jack Parsons would begin to solidify his legend as a maniac, and it's also where it gets a little difficult to keep the Parsons story cohesive. Because he's basically living like two, starting to live two lives. Let him stick with the rockets right now and then come back to why things got weird. So with the uh, previous funding of $1,000 running out and the previous iteration of the Suicide Squad all but disbanded, Melina wrote a proposal to the people handing out money with war looming on the horizon. The government. <laughs> so, um, so they first write a... Uh, a proposal to the National Academy of Sciences uh, with the idea of the JATO. This is the jet-assisted takeoff. So the the problem that they're trying to solve for the government is that, you know, war is coming. It's going to be, this one's going to be an air war. You know, we're, we're going to have some air superiority things going on. And it's difficult to set up forward-operating airstrips when they have to be so goddamn long. Like, it needs a lot of runway to let planes take off. Mm -hmm. uh, so in order to make it so planes can take off with a shorter runway, why not strap some fucking rockets to them? And, you know, take off that way. 
So they first got a thousand dollars from the NAS, and as they showed another showed progress, um, Jack kind of wrote another grant to the American Instant Institute of Aeronautics and Astronic Astronautics, um, and his was kind of a side thing, saying like, "Hey, you know, we've got this good liquid fueled rocket going, but on the side, we've been researching this this solid fuel rockets." So they sent another ten grand uh, from the AA AIAA. But uh, so that's eleven thousand eleven thousand dollars in funding there in nineteen thirty nine. But roughly a quarter of that went to repairing the damage they'd done at Caltech already. <laughs> so they kind of had to reimburse Caltech, pay pay down their tab. <laughs> yeah. But at this point, the Suicide Squad was now the first federally funded rocket research program, first one ever. So they have legitimacy, legitimacy finally, and at last. Yeah, they went from being these stepchildren over there at Galsit to being like. Galsit Project Number One. Mm. Um, so, in June 1940, they submitted a feasibility report based on the uh, proposals that they'd already done. Like, okay, we've proven that it'll work. Uh, now we need some money to make it actually happen. And they highball the government. They asked for a hundred grand. Ew. They got twenty-two thousand. Twenty-two k. They got twenty-two k. It was enough. It was more than they thought they'd get. To be honest, it's probably like a couple hundred grand in today's money. But you know, things were things were starting to look up in in August. I think I, I briefly glanced to the show notes, so I think we might have something for this later. But in August, they were the cover story of Popular Mechanics. Yeah, they got a couple pages uh, done on them. Yeah, cover story too. Now here's we're getting to one, pretty much my favorite of the rocket stories, the the first Jado test using an airplane. We're in late July 1941. So at this point, they'd all, they'd basically just been doing static rocket tests, which means they're not actually yeeting it off in the sky anymore. They've got them set facing downward onto a pressure plate so they can measure the force and the thrust. Very smart. Uh, yeah, they'll just sit there and just keep crashing rockets back into the ground. Yeah, it's, I mean, it wasn't as much fun for, for Jack and Ed. But, you know, Frank said, it was pretty clear, like, hey, we've got to do the science stuff, too. Right. And get yeah. more accurate readings too. Yeah, and that's Otherwise, kind of you're just blowing stuff up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of the why they were going with liquid fueled rockets initially is that because you can they're basically more reliable and easier to control than just setting a bunch of of solid explosives on fire and just hoping hoping that it goes out the right end. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, so the first JADO tests using the airplane were done in late July 1941. And they were done using a uh, blend of rocket fuel that Jack had made called Galsit 27, uh, ostensibly the 27th iteration. Um, so who was brought out to do... Oh, well, let me rephrase that. Uh, they brought out a, a Navy test pilot, uh, Captain Homer J. Bushy, to do these test flights. And so... Uh, you know, they make these solid fuel rockets and they strap them to the plane and, and they do fruit a few test fires with the plane, like strapped down where it's not going anywhere. And, uh, so the first one, they do, just, they light the rockets, fucking blows up on the plane. <laughs> yeah. But of course the test pilots watching this now, test pilots are crazy enough to, you know, he's, st- he, you know, uh, Homer stuck it out. And, yeah. He's and he went around. But they kept blowing up rockets 
on the plane. Um, but finally, they get some there. Um, what Jack realizes is that the rockets that are blowing up are the ones that have been sitting out in the desert for more than a day. So they've you know, had the temperature uh, variances from the hot day to the cold night. Uh, the, the fuel is just not sitting well. It's like expanding and stuff in there, and that's what's causing it. So what they go to do is basically Jack and Ed stay up all night before the next test, just packing 18 Jados. It, it took them, like I said, about all night. But they had fresh ones. Um, so the first actual test flight was... They didn't light them on the ground. Uh, Homer took off in, in the, this eco-plane or whatever it's called, and uh, you know, he climbs up real high till they, they can't really even see, any, see him anymore, and then he lights the, the rockets off. And for, you know, they couldn't see him anymore, but then they see two trails of white smoke in the sky, and they knew where Homie Bo- Homer Bushi was. And this is the first time that you know, contrails were seen, rocket contrails were seen in the sky. Oh, never shit. been done before. Hmm. And then one of them goes out. And then the other. And they're th- like, oh my God, we've killed Homer Bushi. So the ground crew was just like, fuck. Uh, but, you know, a few minutes go by and then and Homer comes in and he brings it in. Uh, one of the yeah. rockets had blown up, but the, the safety mechanic, uh, safety mechanism on it dropped it off and, and he was able to land the plane. You know, he was a test pilot. He was a good pilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, sick but you know they made a couple other tweaks to make sure that they wouldn't did stop blowing up um i think this is kind why of they do these tests happened yeah. concurrently yeah there was about 66 tests that went on i think with the plane um <laughs> <laughs> you don't they, uh, say <laughs> but uh then came the, the day for the launch test and by this time jack had had done the figuring out with the, the jados the, the, having to use the fresh ones and uh they you know so they light him off and Bushi rolls down the runway and takes off like a light. And I think I shared a video of this with you, Booberry. Yeah, I got it in the show notes and uh, yeah. got to save. We'll do it up for some uh, chapter art tonight, I think. So, but, but based on those, uh, those tests, uh, they eventually got it to work well enough to increase the grant to $125,000. Ka-ching. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, so this is July 1941, and so we are on the brink of war. Uh, and so in early 1942, the military asked for the test to be done with liquid fuel rockets. They're kind of tired of waiting for reliable solid fuel rockets. So the group switches over their efforts to liquid fuel uh, because even though they were working for the military, they were pacifists, and they definitely didn't want to get drafted. So, Oh, yeah. Uh, after a couple more calamities in which they probably should have died again, they did have some liquid-fueled rockets that rely, reliably outperformed the Gausset 27 solid rocket fuel. So, and just like that, they had an order uh, for 60 JATO engines for the military. Uh, realizing that they should probably get paid for this, they, uh, they formed the Aerojet Engineering Corporation in March of 42. It's consisting of, of Parsons, Foreman, Molina, Theodore von, von Karman, who was the head of Gausset, and kind of the uh, the mentor of the group and another Caltech guy that got attached to the, the project, um, Martin Summerfield, and each of them invested two hundred fifty dollars into the venture. So, uh, while they were making all this money from the military, the founders were still obsessed with the idea of space travel using rockets. 
And for Parsons, this meant solid rocket fuel. He just couldn't let it go. Um, he, he's always trying to improve. I think, you know, even if he had survived, he would have been trying to improve rocket fuel till the day died. He just, just always thought he can make it bigger and better. I don't think even getting to the moon would have satisfied him. He'd just be like, fuck it, Mars now. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, Next stop, Uranus. <laughs> <laughs> so it, um, we're going to light up the dark side of the moon. <laughs> so, um, let's see. Inspired by the legend of Greek fire. Do you know what Greek fire is? Uh, it's a fire that can't be extinguished, right? It's uh, yeah. you light it up and it just burns and burns and burns. You throw more water and it burns hotter. Uh, is this basically this mythical secret weapon that the Greeks had? There's no surviving the like, recipe for it. Yeah, it's, one of the greatest mysteries of of ancient warfare, Greek fire. Um, a modern pop culture comparison for this would be like the wildfire from Game of Thrones. Mm, they had is, these, just these fire poach you boats. and set on fire. Yeah, it was. It was dope. But, uh, <laughs> so he was just watching some roofers using liquid asphalt to put some uh, roof tiles on, and for some some reason, his brain clicked with Greek fire, and. uh so he used uh, used asphalt as liquid asphalt as a binding agent in the rocket fuel, and this was really the stuff. When people say, "What did Jack Parsons do for rocketry?" Jack Parsons did Gauss at fifty three. Um, that was the name of the rocket fuel he made. It was. And this is where we're getting into talking about it being castable and things like that, so they can mass produce it. It was mm-hmm. stable. They didn't have to worry about uh, people having to load these rockets within twenty four hours. They could just build them, ship them. And they were four hundred twenty-seven percent more powerful than the um, than the ones they had strapped to to Homer Bushi's plane. So they they're mm. good. Um. And so by nineteen forty-three, the orders were pouring into Aerojet to the, to the tune of twenty-two thousand Jados a month. And due to the Germans also having the, the you know the they've got the V two. We know we've got the V two at that point. So money was pouring into the Gausset for for rocket research too. Uh, so it was at this point that the Gausset Rocket Research Group was renamed JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, or the Jack Parsons Laboratory. You take your Jack pick. Jack Parsons Lab. Um, seems with a, a lot of these, um, everything from like 1942 on, they stopped talking rockets and kind of rebranded into jets, just because, like we've mentioned before, there was a stigma attached to rocket research. Everybody thought it was it's so. too sci-fi. It came yeah. with that that connotation. But yeah, jets, only, basically plans. only kids and sci-fi people were into, into rockets. So, mm-hmm. um, by December of 1944, the demand for Jados was getting to be too much for Aerojet, and they arranged for the company to be sold to the General Tire and Rubber Company. Um, just you know, it's a big General Tire is a big ass company, and so I don't know if you ever ever worked for like a startup where they just kind of get too big and they kind of that's kind of what startups do, right? So this is just at the point where the startup gets to be too big for the people running it, and they just need somebody else to step in and run it. Um, however, part of the sale was, like, part of the stipulation of the sale was that Jack and Ed would no be, longer be associated with the company. You well, want to know they, why? They were pushed out. They were pushed out. Now, oh my god! I think it's partly due to their lack of edu- like formal education. Mm. But it was. Definitely due to the fact that they were heavily involved with a weird little sex cult over the past five years. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> he had to have the company men come in to run the company. And when they finally met these guys, they were like, whoa, who the hell are these guys? Got to get rid of them. They're, they were just, you know, they're get, they were being bought out. They're being legit. They had to get rid of these weirdos that were like reciting the hymn to Pan before every fucking rocket launch. <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, they're, they're walk. They, you know, they're fucking talking to each other. I both read and masturbate to tarot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, just, Jack was actually able to recruit some of the the Caltech guys, but you know, um, so but no, I'm not quite there yet. So in, in Jack January of 1939. Jack and Helen were invited to the Church of Thelema in Hollywood for the Gnostic Mass. Uh, they were kind of a funny story. They were invited by this brother and sister pair, and the the brother had a crush on Jack Parsons, and the sister had a crush on Helen. So they, they just, yep, they just they just met socially, and okay, come on to this Gnostic Mask. And all the science, I don't understand. Well, you know what they say, Rocket Man. I don't think anything happened at that point, but... Uh, Rocket Man! <laughs> Look, Jack was already familiar with Crowley. Okay, so I guess we should need to, we need, actually need to take a break here and talk about Thelema and the OTO. Oh boy, here we go. And do what thou wilt. <laughs> do what thou wilt should be the whole of the law. Um, so Thelema is a religion started by a uh, British occultist, Alistair Crowley. I don't think we really need to introduce him that much on this show. Mm, the the uh, most famous magician of the 20th century. Yeah. All, all I got to do is Mr. Crowley. Very much so. Um, and you know, he's, of course, everybody's got this picture of Crowley as a Satan worshiper and all that. And that's actually not, close to the truth um thelema is a religion and, and it's a fully formed the, you know with a fully formed theology but it's it's basically based around discovering and enacting your true will uh as in this life and by true will they basically mean the reason you're here not like do what thou whim but really like figure out what it is you're here to do the one thing that you can add to this world and go do that it's it's really kind of nice. I've got nothing. I've got no problems with Thelma. It's it's pretty cool. Very libertarian. The there's a second part to do with the which will be the whole of the law. The whole of the law is love or something so, like love that. Love is the law. Love under will. Love love is the law. Yep. Yeah. So do it. That will be shall be the whole of the law. But the whole of the law is love. It's right. it's a positive message. I learned something really fascinating about that piece where uh, Crowley wrote that everything in that is one syllable. Uh, all of the words are one syllable in that whole little, uh, yeah, there's why some use many word when few weird synchronicities once you get into there, but yeah, but, uh, you think that's enough. The OTO is, um, basically a fraternal organization based on Thelema. So they're kind of like the Knights of Columbus for Thelema. Basically you can do Thelema without doing OTO. But you can't really do OTO without Thelema. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also, it's kind of just, well, when you're into something weird, something it's good to have a, a friend group too, you know? But, uh, so he, Jack had been exposed to Crowley's writings before, um, being invited to the OTO black mass and sporadically would attend Thelemic events and gradually getting in and gradually would get Helen into it as well. Uh, before their initiation in February of 1941, 
So um, hit her in the mouth. Yeah, hit her in the mouth, and she was a little bit re- reluctant at first, but eventually she was all in, and she stayed in the OTO long after Jack had resigned. Hmm. So uh, he would introduce many people into Thelma, and for some of them it stuck. And among these would be his buddy Ed Foreman, a uh, Caltech student and sci-fi nut Grady McMurtry, McMurtry's fiance Claire, and Helen's younger half sister Sarah Betty Northrup. So Sarah's gonna come back up. Actually, Grady McMurtry is too. But uh, Parsons adopted the Thelemic motto of Thelema Obtentium Prodero Amoris Nuptiae, which is just a bastard Latin. Like, I, t- <laughs> I was never very good at Latin. I took a Latin in, in high school. But even I can see just like, whoa, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> so it's a mistranslation of the establishment of Thelema through the rituals of love. Getting into the sex magic. The in- initials of this motto spelled out T-O-P-A-N. So also to pan. So you know, because because he likes pan. Is it like pronouns? I identify as two and pan. Well, I guess he sort of he did a lot of stuff for pan, but uh, oh yeah. So commenting on Parsons' translation of the Latin, uh, Crowley wrote to him and said, "The motto which you mention is couched in a language beyond my powers of understanding." So, Crowley would have been a bastard on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. Total troll. It, he would have been called out on so much shit on Twitter all the time. Yeah. And he was just, like, the master of, like, the intelligent shit throw. So, um, yeah, he just, he liked shitting on people. But uh, <laughs> Jack Parsons, well, yeah. Jack Parsons quickly became a shining star in the OTO. And, uh, yeah, everybody was bright into Crowley being like, man, Jack Parsons has really got it going on, all that. And, and Crowley agreed. At one point in time, uh, Crowley basically had hand, had mentioned to people, had decided that Jack Parsons was going to be the person to succeed he himself as the outer head of the OTO. Um, just that, which makes the second inheritance that Jack Parsons looked poised to take and never did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, here's where things start to get a little sticky for 26-year-old Jack. So they're doing, they're starting to do the open relationship thing. They're starting, you know, having the orgies. Um, but, in, you know, but they're still married to Helen. And in June 1941, Helen went on a little vacation. And remember when I mentioned Sarah Betty Northrup? Mm-hmm. Her, little, her sm- younger half-sister? Betty made her move. Oh boy! Well, yep. I know. You know, Parsons definitely has some. It was a dick move on his part too. All he had to do was say no. But it really sounds like he got overwhelmed by Betty. It sounds like she was a real for, like force of nature. She basically just moved into the room, started wearing Helen's clothes, and said, "I'm Jack's wife now." <laughs> but, you know, then, and Helen returns to this. <laughs> sounds like a real sound-minded person. <laughs> yeah, I don't necessarily like diagnosing people, but. A lot of the stuff she does, it sounds just like she's went in full narcissist. I was, I thought you were getting ready to say your average TikToker. <laughs> well, like I said, full narcissist. Bipolar narcissist, yeah. That's what he said. And uh, so Helen returns to you know, find this, and she's like, Jack, what the fuck? And Jack was like, well, it's almost like he was less afraid. It's like, on, he looks like, yeah, It's like he was less afraid of standing up to Helen, his wife, than he was to Betty. 
And he was just like, I guess I just prefer Betty. I think you're a better person, but you know, I get along with Betty and you know, that's the way it is. And you know, Helen wasn't, was pretty upset about this, but she found solace in the arms of Wilfred T. Smith, the gas station wizard that was head of the OTO. So, uh, gas uh, station wizard. Well, head of head of the Agape Lodge, so the the Los Angeles OTO. Mm-hmm. Um. So, but they stayed very good friends. Uh, Helen and Jack, they were best buds till basically Jack died. Um, he stayed friends with Wilford and Helen, and not so much Betty. But, uh, um. So. Uh, yeah, and and Helen would stay with Wilfred Smith and basically till he died. So that that one actually kind of worked out. It kind of worked out for Helen. Oh, but, uh, good. Uh, so the couples actually rented out a mansion together on where else? But Orange Grove Boulevard there, where uh, Jack grew up. And and this is where like the really weird religious commune stuff really starts. Yeah, he opens it up so people can start renting rooms from him. Right. Yeah, this is the parsonage, and they so initially it's it's just. Thelemites that are living there, and they are partying so hard. So they're, you know, they're doing the drugs and having the sex almost every night. Mm-hmm. But the, and the one thing they're not doing, shit, I'm sure. Well, that's the kind of the thing is that they weren't doing a whole lot of that um, after they moved into the the parsonage. I think one of the people kind of mentioned is like, "We've been here for six months and we haven't done the Gnostic Mass once." <laughs> so they were we just really, keep like, spitting in each other's faces and having sex. It's, that's it. Yeah, with I mean, with the mansion, with with Jack Parsons funding everything, and with the permissiveness of Wilfred T. Smith at, at, as the head of the lodge, um, it really did degenerate into just pure hedonism. As it yeah. should. Yeah, he was. Jack was still working at Aerojet, and at this point, was like almost fully funding the OTO and Crowley himself with the majority of his salary. Mm. So most of most of his salary was going into this, but he was getting a lot of parties out of it too. Sure. And, and a lot of, you know, doing the sex thing and a little value for value action back then, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, <laughs> at, and so Crowley had kind of had enough because he was getting those report reports back. They're like, he's like, okay, yes, sex is a part of Thelema, but it's not the only part. If the, you know, hedonism Thelema allows for hedonism, but it doesn't encourage you it allows for other things too you know, right there's other there's other aspects to this you have like, to go to the pyramids this is not what it's about ghosts there's all kinds of shit you got to do yep uh, but crowley decided that wilford smith was the problem here and uh he basically uh forced him to step down and named jack to be the uh, temporary head of the agape lodge the oto um he was. He did basically try to get rid of Wilford altogether, but at this point, Helen was pregnant with Wilford's child, and so Jack and Helen kind of begged Crowley to, "Hey, can you just wait till the child's born, and then we'll see um, Wilford Smith on his way, you know, and, and all that." And, and Crowley agreed. He left him alone, and it, but in a Crowley move, like the day the child was born, he released like this. Lieber or whatever, basically deciding that Wilfred Smith was a god, and as such, he should tattoo six 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 on his forehead and then exile himself to the desert and no longer have communication with members of the OTO. Just the total Crowley move. Like, <laughs> Bye. Um, he he didn't do that. A little he, They did send Wilfred on a little retreat just to kind of get away from the the drama for a while. 
Mm-hmm. But you know, when he got he got <laughs> Go walk it off, champ. When he got back, um, you know, Parsons didn't really listen to Crowley and let and kinda of let him back into the into the fold. Not necessarily as at the OTO, but just be, definitely in the friend group. Mm. So, so at this point, uh when this happens, we're basically caught up with the rocket story. Uh, with Jack and Ed gone from JPL and Aerojet. Uh, so they're, they're continuing to, to work. They founded the Ad Astra Engineering Company. And, and so Jack had like a little sub company under that where he's manufacturing chemical powders and stuff. But after Wilfred Smith was removed, um, Jack did kind of try to clean up the Agape Lodge a little bit. It didn't do so well. But he, he was, they were doing more magic stuff. At this point. So at some point it was kind of Wilford just being like, hey, we should just have another party. But, and this is when Jack begins renting rooms at the Parsonage to non-Thelemites. Uh, in the ads placed in the local paper, Jack specified that only bohemians, artists, musicians, atheists, anarchists, or any other exotic types need to apply for rooms. Any mundane soul would be unceremoniously rejected. <laughs> yeah. Well, and into this milieu enters a true villain. Lafayette, Ron Hubbard. Oh, dun, man. Dun, dun. The, the beast himself. Can we take a second to boo LRH? <laughs> Hell yeah, boo. 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 Fuck you, Elrond. <laughs> now, I'm glad you got scurvy, you old bastard. Uh, So LRH comes in. You know, Jack is a sci-fi nerd. At this point, LRH is an established sci-fi writer. And so they, they, they kind of click. But uh, LRH also clicks with Betty. And because they're all LRH in a relationship... LRH fucking clicked with all kinds of women, man. He's, yeah. he's such a, he was such a dog. He was the, one of the all-time dogs of that time. But Betty also kind of just like... You know, Jack had been the, brand, the brightest star you know, at the time, and she kind of had hooked herself to him. Well, at this point, LRH walks in. He's even more uh, charming than, than Jack Parsons is. Uh, clearly kind of has a lot more ambition. And so she, you know, she went to him, too. Um, mm. And Jack was, despite the open relationship thing, uh, Jack was very, very jealous. But he was still kind of friends with, with LRH. And uh, so Jack, being the wizard that he is, decides to do the uh, only reasonable thing to do for a man in his position. He's going to talk to Babylon and summon himself a girlfriend. That is very Satan-y. The yep. Babylon workings, right? Babylon workings, correct. Uh, it is actually you know a series of workings. A lot of people think it's just like the first time he went out and jacked off in the desert and came back to Marjorie Cameron, but it was a series of workings. So, yep. Mm. And... and I didn't. I didn't really put too much detail about what went on. Um, it, it did involve uh, Jack, you know, basically jacking off over uh, tablets of <laughs> magical tablets while LRH read the astral plane to see <laughs> for changes. You know, it was just kind of weird. <laughs> but uh, so LRH helped him in this in this uh, ritual. Yeah, LRH basically acted as a scribe, and it. Uh. it it kind of perturbed Crowley too. He was like, "Oh, what the fuck are these yahoos doing?" Yeah. On the oh desert? yeah, he thought they were fucking idiots. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, this is not gonna it's end like, well for you, boys. 
Apparently Parsons and Hubbard are trying to spawn a moon child. <laughs> the mind fairly bottles. It's, it's close. It's a, it's a paraphrase. Nice. But, uh, stupid! You're so stupid! So the, the final one of these rituals, uh, of the initial working, uh, took place in the Mojave Desert in late February of 1946. Uh, in, in which Jack was like, hey, I think we're done. I don't know what he saw in that ritual, what happened to the ritual, but he just kind of abruptly was just like, hey, I think we're done. And he came back to the parsonage to find one Marjorie Cameron with red hair and green eyes and, and basically exactly the woman that he was trying to summon. And a movie star, no less. Yep, a movie star, an artist. Uh, just a groovy chick. I mean, Jack liked groovy girls. Mm. So, you know, the, these bohemian types, you know, the, the wild ones. The yardsy ones, I like those too. God damn it. What is it about them? It's a weakness. Well, well, Jack and Marjorie immediately started hooking up. I think they spent like the first two weeks, uh, quote unquote, doing sex magic. But I think they were just banging. <laughs> but, uh, you know. I, yeah, tomato, tomato. Marjorie kind of didn't have a clue at first. What other people all knew is like, oh, Jack summoned you to, <laughs> to be his girlfriend. But, uh, you know, she, she did take part and she did get into the, uh, the OTO lifestyle. Um, so they can, you know, started doing the sex magic to continue the Babylon workings. And like I said, they're trying to, to spawn a moon child. Uh, LRH is still involved with some of these. Um, and, uh, let's see, there's some others. But when, uh, Marjorie left for a trip to New York, Parsons headed back out to the desert to talk to Babylon again because he was lonely. And only this time he came back with a text, uh, a Lieber 49, which he considered to be like the fourth book to Crowley's Book of Lies, mm. um, which which Crowley thought was very presumptuous. And I, I actually, I do have a copy of that in the uh, show notes links awesome. already. Cool. Of the Parsons uh, book? Yeah, Lieber 49. I'm pulling it up right now. And Excellent. There you go. Drop that in the chat, which is irc.zeronode.net hashtag green room. Check it out. Now, aside from summoning the Scarlet Woman, which is what, you know, they called Marjorie, kind of the magical name, that, that took it from Crowley. Crowley's current girlfriend, he always called her the Scarlet Woman. Basically, whoever he's doing sex magic with was the Scarlet Woman. Um, but Marjorie Cameron was Jack's Scarlet Woman. And But the uh, the next part portion of the Babylon workings were basically to summon the moon child, which was um, to, through immaculate conception, they would magically impregnate someone in the world with a child that would be born nine months later that would be the embodiment of battle, Babylon. And just since, we're, since this is behind the schemes, I'm going to throw this out here. Um, know who was born roughly nine months after the completion of that working? Uh, my name... Is Hilarion. Very good. <laughs> Very good. And it is, that is a weird synchronicity that, that, that the name Hilarion was taken by Marjorie later on. Yeah. That's her magical name, too. Yeah, we're talking about Hillary Clinton. Yeah, she was born roughly nine months after the, uh, the Babylon working. Oh, no. I figured this audience just might like that little tidbit. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, very Satan-y. That's that's exquisite knowledge to chew on. Thank you very much. Um, you know, I do actually have a clip about this if you're interested, or we can save it for the second second half. Uh, totally your call. 
Uh, let's save it for the second seven half. I just want to power through this. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm on a roll now. But, Rolling. Uh, so at this point in time is when, um, they start, they being, uh, Parsons, LRH, and Sarah, Betty Northrup, they start a company called Allied Enterprises with Parsons investing $20,970. Um, LRH was something like 1200 bucks and Sarah invested nothing because, well, she really didn't have anything. Um, this was basically all of Jack's life savings, um, you know, all of his life savings, basically. Um, and so this is the infamous yacht debacle. So the idea here was that to make money, they would go to the East Coast, buy yachts where they were cheap because they were made over there, sail them around through the Panama Canal and back up to the coast of California where they would sell them at a profit. I just, I just don't think it sounds like a good idea to begin with. But you know, LRH fucking loves. That's, that's a terrible fucking idea. Ships yeah. are the big, most anyway. Yeah, please continue. LR, he fucking loves sailing. Yeah, LRH. SeaTac. <clears throat> he about the same obsession with boats that Jack Parsons had with rockets. He was basically a pirate, a sci-fi pirate. So uh, there's a, there's a lot to go into here, but basically. Despite many warnings, you know, every time Jack calls LRH and is like, hey, what, you know, because LRH and Betty go, don't, they go down to Panama City or Miami and, uh, they, they buy three yachts and, you know, they, they're talking to, to Jack and they're like, every, everything's fine, everything's fine. But, you know, everybody back home is kind of like, this is red flags all over it, Jack. You need to get over there and take care of this. So with basically the last of his money, he flies down to Florida. Um, and, and basically tracks down, tracks them down to the harbor they're in. It's, it's, it's actually a much longer story than I'm making. I'm kind of yada yadding a lot of things, but, uh, when he gets to the harbor, he's like, okay, where's LRH? Where's LRH? Turns out they had just sailed. They're at the mouth of the harbor, getting ready to sail into open water. They're, they had made their getaway. They're making a run for it. They had made their getaway. But Jack being the man that he is, he knows what to do. He grabs his piece of chalk. He draws his arcane geometry on the floor, does an LBRP, invokes Bartzabel. And it's, a, it's you know, he says it's a fairly long ritual. It took him about an hour. And about the time, and, and to the best of Jack's ability, you know, because he's a magician, he kind of keeps track of these things, cause and effect, cause and effect. Um, that Roughly the time that he finished the this uh, Bartzabel uh, ritual, uh, a squall just blew up out of nowhere and snaps both the masts on Betty and Elrond's boat, and they're just dead in the water. They have to be towed back in by the Coast Guard. And so they're they're towed back into the harbor and to find you know Jack Parsons standing there waiting for him. That had to be a triumphant moment for Jack, too. <laughs> like, you fuckers thought you could get away. You were dealing Magic with the wizard here. <laughs> you fucked with the wizard kid, man. Yeah, I, th- I think maybe that story more than anything made Jack believe his own bullshit. But you know, who knows? He could have done it. But uh, so there was a you know he sued him. But uh, uh, and they the, the court basically made Elrond Hubbard promise to pay him back and stuff like that. But Betty kind of blackmailed Jack to, into not pushing it farther 
because she was basically like, hey, if you push this farther, I'm going to tell everybody that I was 17 when you started fucking me. So, which, which was, you know, the age of consent was 18 in California at the time. And, you know, Jack had been 26. So it's, it still was kind of like, Jack, buddy, what were you doing? You set yourself up so bad when you did the Betty <laughs> thing. Yeah. You fell for the wrong sort of sex magic. Yep. Well, yeah. Sometimes you don't want to get the younger sister model, man. Sometimes that's just a bad move. <laughs> yeah, it's, you're setting yourself up for a couple of landmines down the, down the road. <laughs> yes. The only place that works is on, <laughs> is on Pornhub, really. Yeah. yeah I've got, well, you got to think of it. it was, I mean, despite being an open relationship, you got to think that like, going for your wife's little sister is just beyond like a good idea. Like, it kind of goes beyond the agreement you might have as an open relationship. I don't know, but this man, if anything, was quite unconventional. You know, hey, he hey man, it's not... do the, the, not, the path of most resistance. <laughs> don't hate the player, hate the will. <laughs> right. <laughs> and hate sometimes the I think Jack's the will was a little of the weak. Yeah. He obviously had a weakness for women, and he had a weakness. He, he, and it, he did have a weakness it's, for it's, women. It's clear that just. All the, all the kind of lesser aspects of his personality that you see in all these stories, it has something to do with either him being like too trusting or him letting women use him. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, he's just he's just an average guy who did very non-average things. But yeah. you know, down in his, he was still just as manipulatable as, as anybody else. Yes. To the right people, you know, you get manip- manipulated by Betty, manipulated by Elrond. But the most he think he actually got back was twenty nine hundred dollars of that twenty thousand nine seventy. So because mm-hmm. Elrond gotta, is the ultimate fucking shuckster, just an all timer. Yeah, yeah, he's and that's kind of what I, I don't want to shit on Betty too hard because she did have a rough time of it when she later married Elrond. Mm-hmm. <laughs> actually, when he bigamously, bigamously married her because he was still married to his first wife. Yeah. But uh, you know, he that was before Sarah. his period where he was just like fleeting around the world for years in a ship in in a, in a yacht and just like was running from governments because he fucked but, over yeah. too many people. Yeah, I mean, he was very r- cruel to Sarah, and this is the the wife that like after they had their kid, like he kidnapped them both and held them for ransom from himself, basically. And, yeah, she had a. I mean, there's a whole like Sarah Northrup is her own story, but. uh that's kind of the problem with getting into Jack Parsons is there's just so many of these stories that turn into their own stories. Trying to shoe, like shoehorn it all into a presentation for you guys was actually kind of a trip. Mm. But uh, So after the whole yacht debacle, uh, returning to California, Parsons completed the sale of the Parsonage. So like he basically had sold it to some developers um, under the agreement that he and Marjorie could still living in the, keep living in the coach, the coach house. So they d- demolished the... the uh, parsonage they were living in the coach house and it's at this time that he actually also resigned from the oto he'd been kind of just fallen out with it crowley was kind of sick of him too uh, the luster was gone parsons Pars- uh, crowley's about to get rip- give up on him uh but he wrote in his letter to crowley that he did not believe that as an auto- autocratic organization the oto constitutes a true and proper medium for the expression and attainment of Thelema. He was just kind of, yeah, just done with the OTO. 
you know, Helen would stay in. I don't know. You know, can't remember if Ed kind of dropped out at this time too, but, uh, so the honeymoon after, phase was over. Yeah. And Jack also, he started kind of getting into more of the other ecclesiastical wing of Thelema, which is known as AA. Um, and that's more of like a monastic. Anonymous, terrifying <laughs> yeah. cult. I would not recommend right. it to anyone. I can't actually remember what the AA is called, but, um, I know what you're talking about that, what you're actually talking about. Yeah. It's kind of like the more monastic, uh, approach as, as opposed to like the fraternal order. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, um, they moved to, uh, Jack and Marjorie moved to Manhattan beach and they married on October 19th, 1946, which is four days after his divorce to Helen was finalized. Uh, Helen and Jack didn't bother getting divorced for a long time, basically until he was ready to get married to Marjorie. It so, had to be uh, done in order for him to marry this other yeah. lady. Like I said, like Helen and, and Wilfred T. Smith, they'd already had a kid together. Jack was actually like, um, he was supporting them too. So he was basically like kind of like supporting that gas station wizard and his family. But uh, just, yeah, Jack was very generous with his money. I don't know if it's because he uh, grew up wealthy and didn't really think about it. But, you know, he also had been broke, so he did have the value of money. I'm just probably really proud that he made that money back, and he's probably used to living a certain ostentatious lifestyle, you know, at least yeah. going back to his youth. He's like, well, this is what oh. I do. This is how I spend. Jack Parsons loved suits, by the way. Like, he always he's wore suits. He's a stylish suits. fella. It's probably yeah. part of the reason why he was a celebrity in L.A. is because he was a, a genuinely intriguing-looking guy. He dressed well. He had a cool mustache. You yeah. Know. Um. But uh, still working on rockets. Uh, oh, sorry, they were still working on the rockets. You know, Ed and, Ed and Jack. But in mid nineteen forty seven, the Red Scare was in full effect, and uh, Jack kind of lost his clearance for a while while he was investigated. And this is—he was starting to get sick of this bullshit. Been like, all right, you guys, keep hounding me. Like, so he, he kind of looked into working overseas, and was working odd jobs. We're trying to figure that out, <laughs> including his own stint as a gas station wizard. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was actually had two years on the faculty at USC in the, in the Department of Pharmacology. I guess he was, he was a good natural chemist, and I guess he was just making drugs. So, yeah, sure, I'm sure. He, after just spending all his life working on rocket fuels, I'm sure going over and just being a pharmacist is probably not too yeah. far off. But you know, due to Jack's career faltering, you know, he's kind of in the sour mood and all that. And uh, Cameron and Parsons' relationship had become strained due to all of this, and they separated. And during this time, she joined an artist community in Mexico. And sort of losing, um, not having his career, not having his wife, not really having any friends anymore because he wasn't in the OTO, he kind of hit rock bottom, and he went a little nuts. Um. While he was done with the OO, he's not done with Thelma. Like I said, he was, he was kind of uh, pursuing the AA more. And so he really threw himself into the magic and philosophy. And he did write some pretty cool stuff during this time. Like the four-part po- four manifesto to individualis- individualism called Freedom is a Two-Edged Sword. It's one of my favorites. It's, I think it's great. Jack is a very good writer. Uh, one when of he's the writing, ultimate libertarian texts. Yeah. Jack is a very good writer um, when he's writing for other people. Like the stuff that was published from his journals is cringy as crap, but when he's writing for other people, like he's a good writer. He's like just a forceful writer. So you know he, he yeah he good did have like that. this this libertarian 
uh, masterwork, freedom is a two-edged sword. And he also declared himself the Antichrist. So I actually haven't really, I haven't read the manifesto of the Antichrist yet. I haven't been able to unpack it, so to speak. Because like, it's, it's just kind of weird. Um, I do think he, he doesn't really mean Antichrist in the revelation sense so much as uh, attaining Christ consciousness. He was, he was doing shadow work is what he was doing. Is shadow work and, and bits of Gnosticism thrown in there, obviously, yeah. from the OTO. So he's yeah, trying he's, to get that Christ consciousness, the Enlightenment situation. Transfiguration into gold. Yeah, I mean, like I yes, said, he hit, he's hit rock always. bottom. And that's that's what magicians do when they're you know trying to struggle th- things out. They just do new magic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he's <laughs> So yeah, this was the, the, the Antichrist stuff. People get put off by that a lot, but it's really just Jack discovering himself. During a really dark time. But uh, he started shacking up with a woman named Gladys. I guess she was an Irishman. Uh, but uh, Marjorie returned from Mexico to discover this. And after violently arguing with Jack, she returned to Mexico. And Jack <laughs> responded by filing for divorce. Like He was like, fuck it. I guess this one's over, to, over too. Um, one of the next. Well, it never... That one actually never got to finalization. So... Um, so following this, uh, Jack's security review came back and his clearance was reinstated. Uh, they dis- you know, decided he was not a threat to uh, American interests. Um, it's not, uh, most of their concerns, I believe, were due to some of the people that he had been palling around with back in the Caltech days. Um, you know, the, there, it was Caltech in the, in the 30s, man. There, was, there were some communists around, and they did try to recruit him, but Jack didn't like communism. He didn't hate communism. He just didn't want any part of it, especially mm-hmm. if it, you know, the kind of culty communism clubs that were sort of, sort of popping up. Like he discussed it a few times, but once with their Shea the, Guarva shirts, <laughs> <laughs> once like it became clear that his discussion groups were becoming like just overwhelmingly communist, he just quit going. Mm-hmm. So he he really what you know he was never a communist. He didn't have some kind of. He did enjoy socialism a little bit, but on a small scale, you know, because he, because he liked commune life. Yeah, that's, kind of- that's an aspect of the libertarianism that he, if you would label it that, that he kind of advocated for was a decentralized. But you know, you still live in a community, and you have people that that play their part and are right. skilled or whatever. But it's not run by this giant, overwhelming, ubiquitous power. Yeah. So, uh, like after his clearance, uh, yeah. yeah, but, uh, so after his clearance was reinstated, he took a job at Hughes aircraft company. Yes. That Hughes aircraft company, Howard Hughes, my man, another, yep. another rich weirdo from the times. <laughs> oh yep. man. What a character. We got to yeah, do a I Howard mean, Hughes episode. One yeah, of these yeah. days. The Pantages theater. I got some fun stories about that one. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll get my piss jars. even though he was working for the hughes aircraft company he was really trying to make plans to emigrate to israel to join their rocket program Mm -hmm. um i was looking at some documentation of this how he he got in a little trouble with the fbi they were keeping tabs on him because of this. yeah well speaking of documentation uh he had an assistant create a, a portfolio of basically like his own research that he'd done but that was there at Hughes, and she uh, basically accused him of espionage and called the FBI. She she snitched on him. 
Um, so he was fired from Hughes immediately. And while the investigation found him clear of the espionage charge, like they, they didn't bring any charges against him, they found he'd done nothing wrong. Uh, the security review board had really had enough of Parsons at this point and his weird shit and, and basically just permanently banned him from attaining the clearance needed to continue, continue rocket research. So, so at this point, still having to learn uh, to earn a living, he had his own company making chemical special effects for Hollywood and working at the, and working at one of the local chemical factories, you know, just picking up some hours here and there. So while his rocket career was over, things were actually looking up for Jack. All the shadow work he'd done during the Antichrist working seemed to have made a change. Uh, and he kind of started to get, to sh- uh, get his shit together. Like Marjorie came back. They were happy again. Uh, they moved into another coach house. Uh, where else but Orange Grove Boulevard again. So they're back on Orange Grove Boulevard. And with Marjorie back in the picture and, and Jack with his shit together, uh, they started working on their own magical system they simply called the Witchcraft. And uh, collaborated on a book of poems illustrated by Cameron uh, called Songs for the Witch Woman, which I don't think was published until 2014. Oh, wow. Yeah, it took, took that long. But um, uh, Parsons and Cameron decided to go. They got it out, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So, yeah, yeah, they got it out after both of them were dead. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Jack and Marjorie, um, they're back together. Things are going good. They, they think that maybe probably what they need is just a change of scenery. You know, Marjorie really liked Mexico, so she convinces Jack, like, hey, let's move to Mexico. Uh, go for a few months, both as a vacation, and you know, Jack had a little offer to uh, consult on an explosives factory for the Mexican government, so it's going to be part of that, too. Uh, the, their planned departure date from Mexico... Oh, they're also going to try to catapult that into getting into the Israel rocket research program. In order to get to the Israel space program, they're going to try to invent the Mexican space program. Basically. But they just basically just needed to get out from the House Un-American Activities Commission mm-hmm. and the stink that that left on them. But, uh, you know, Frank Molina lost his clearance, too, because he actually did become a communist back in the day. But um. Uh, Anyway, the, the whole communist uh, thing, uh, the Cold War situation, McCarthyism, and all that it is kind of somewhat reflective, I think, of of the COVID era, just in the sense that it's like so our way or the, or the highway sort of a situation. Yeah, I do see this. I do see what you're saying there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and if you don't, yeah, fit. If you have weird ideas, you're not welcome here. <laughs> and if you but, don't do it, then you can't work here. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Which is the most important thing. <laughs> we'll fire you if you don't do this. You're uh, not allowed to participate. Yes, you get a goo. Anyway, please continue. All right. So Jack and Marjorie's planned departure date for Mexico was June 18th, 1952. The day before, June 17th, they were packing and loading the car when Jack received a rush order for some explosives for a film set. Now, since they could always use a little extra cash... Uh, Jack took the job and got to work in his home laboratory while Marjorie went to run some late errands. Uh, midway through the afternoon, two nearly simultaneous booms rattled and shook the entire neighborhood. Uh, the, the lodgers that were living upstairs in the coach house came down to find the lab destroyed, and with it, an equally destroyed Jack Parsons. Mm. His left arm and both legs were broken. Most of his right arm is simply gone. Like they never found it as was 
the majority of the right side of his face. Despite all this, he was still conscious. Uh, he was rushed to the hospital, but declared dead roughly 37 minutes after the blast. Um, his last Real. words were rumored to be, I wasn't done. But given the state that Jack's face was in, I kind of don't think he had any last words. And that's all yeah. apocryphal. Yeah. I think if Jack had any last words, it's probably. But yeah, something like that. <laughs> oh, fuck. Worst last words. When Marjorie arrived on the scene, coming back from her errands, she could only say, but we were leaving. But we were leaving. Um, and when one of the, um, one of the people went over to basically inform Jack Parsons' mother, Ruth, that he had died. She immediately took a fatal dose of barbiturates and died only a few hours after her son. Mm. Jack's, the cause of death um, was basically believed to be that he was mixing up uh, some fulminated mercury in, in an old coffee tin, and it just slipped from his hands, hit the ground, blew up and blew up all the other chemicals that he had in the lab. Hence the, the double explosion. Of course there's, and this is actually the theory that Ed, that Ed Foreman believes that he was like, yeah, Jack's hands were sweaty. He probably just dropped the motherfucker. He got, yeah, you know, shit happens. he was in a hurry. He was going on vacation that very next day. Have you ever done that at work? Like you're going on vacation and you're just like mailing it in. Yeah. Yeah. It's 3 PM on a Friday. And you're like, yeah, yeah it's over. I'm not actually working. Um, of course, there were a lot of uh, conspiracy theories, you know, that have popped up as to his as to his death. Um, the one that Marjorie Cameron kind of believed, but, but she started believing this after receiving it through like astral travel, was that the police captain that Jack had been instrumental in convicting years before had been released. Uh, uh, been released a few months prior to Jack's death, and so she thought that he had bombed Jack. Mm-hmm. You know, it was but, payback. Yeah. Um, some people think it was you know Howard Hughes for in uh, retaliation for Jack's quote unquote stealing secrets. You know, uh, could have been some the people, Israelis. Could have been any. Well, not the Israelis. They were trying to hire him. It could have been the enemies of the Israelis. Some people think he was trying to create a homunculus. Uh. It, in the end, I do think I just think that you know God got him because <laughs> uh, Jack Parsons being all weird and shit. Yeah, uh, he's just a a dangerous person. He lived life on the edge, you know. He's he was a rocket man. Yep, but in the end, I do kind of think that he just was careless and blew himself up. And with that, that's the the biography of Jack Parsons. Magnifico. I hmm, I don't know. I <sighs> it's fun to postulate, but I, 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 I have to admit, if he was murdered, it would be the perfect way to kill him because it's oh, yeah. you can chalk it up, you know. And there's definitely been other strange incidents when there's been you know these sort of science-minded inventors that mysteriously just start barfing up black goo and then dying there on the spot. Uh, you know the guys that were doing the um, like the water-powered engines and whatnot. 
a couple of those dudes have uh, have have passed away, unfortunately. Well, this is 1952, so we're, oh, I think we were still OSS at this point, right? And those dudes were hardcore. So yeah, I guess it could have been Talon too. Alan is, Dulles, yeah, yeah. You're we, also like, in the height of the lead poisoning era. <laughs> yep. I I do have a I do have a fun um ISO here in honor of uh one Jack Parsons. Rocket man burning out of shoes out here That's true. Yeah. Good old nice. Jack Parsons. Thank you so for what what age did he die at? How old was he when he died? Uh let's see, thirty seven. Thirty seven years old. What a life lived by 37. <laughs> you know, man, we got about six, seven years to do some really crazy shit. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> we still got time. Jack was one of these dudes that burned fast. Um, I'm I'm not one of them. But, you know, I, I, I've worked with people that were just, you know, they come in on the weekend and you're like, hey, what'd you do? And they're like, well, I built a deck and I also, uh, well, I got bored and refined the code. And so it's about five times faster now. It's like you worked all weekend? Like, when did you get drunk? <laughs> <laughs> They're burning the candle at both ends, but somehow not by not drinking. How was that? Well, that wasn't Jack's problem, because Jack was on a lot of drugs. No, he's doing all kinds of stuff. As a matter of fact, in the intermission, uh, I put in a, a little poem that he wrote. Oh, good. Uh, as it was vocalized. Uh, it's, it's just a little, like, limerick-type poem, but it basically talks about all the different drugs that he's doing. Yeah, I actually almost included that, but uh, just kind of like I was trying to pare it down so much. I was just like, "Yeah, it's just too much." It's all right. Yeah, I got your back, Reverend nice. Doctor. Uh, <laughs> um, we've got it going. Hell yeah! I guess the sources for uh, this was uh, "Strange Angel" by George Pendle. Mm-hmm. There's a TV show of the same name. I actually haven't seen it yet. Uh, I did start watching it and made it about five episodes in. It's pretty good. Um, you know, for for a TV show, it's a uh, Pretty hammed up. I, I think Ed is portrayed as a student actually going and enrolled at Caltech. Uh, um, but uh, there's this great scene where Jack is being bugged by a, a neighbor, and he's in the in the shed where all of his chemicals are, and he pours a, a handful of powder and pull up, pulls out his lighter and just fucking throws the the mixture of powder into the guy's face and lights it and makes this huge fucking fireball. <laughs> um, it really hams up that sort of you know being an alchemist working with all these yeah. chemicals. Uh, I, I don't know if that happened, but Jack was would play pranks on people yeah. all the time. Um, mm. You know, while they were out working in in the Arroyo on their rockets all the time, you know, doing the the test firings of the, uh, the liquid fuel rocket and all that to blow off steam, they go off in the desert and hunt, mm-hmm. just like just like rabbits and stuff like that. But they'd also Ed and Jack would have mock duels. Out in the desert, where the the goal was basically to shoot as close to the other person's feet without hitting them. Mad lads, I tell ya. They were insane. <laughs> Sorry, I, I didn't mean to shoot you in the leg there, buddy. I guess right. I lose. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Shit. And Shit, I lose. Here's five bucks. I did want to give a, a plug to another podcast if I can. Um no, no, we're blotting all this out. Silence him. Cut him out. Shut him off the clean feed. If you're uh, if you're interested in this story at all, there's a there's a podcast that did uh, called the Nonsense Bazaar, 
they did four parts on Jack Parsons. They presented it very well. It's like six hours worth of stuff, and they do go into a lot of these these fun stories that I just couldn't. But uh, yeah, the the nonsense bizarre. I actually no, enjoyed it so bizarre. much. I went onto their website to try to find a donate button because now I'm on this value for value thing, right? I couldn't mm. even figure out a way to email them. Oh wow! Ooh, the... they have tw- they have Twitter and Facebook. It's like I don't have either of those. What so? Jeez. The Nonsense Bazaar? Yep. Nonsense Bazaar. We can throw those in the in the show notes. Hell yeah. I'm looking it up right now. Hell yeah. You no know, problem. And if anybody wants to reach out to them, I think they'd be a, a, kind of a great addition to our community. They don't have any ads, and they're kind of, you know, they're doing good podcasts. So. We just got to make fun of them for being on the bag, but other than that. Right. I'm just thinking we, we can recruit them. You know? you know, technically, we too have a Facebook group. No, yeah, it's true. No, why didn't you tell me? Yeah, yeah, but we also have no agenda social. Yeah, we got all this other stuff. By the way, at Pfeiffer at CrowleyClub dot com. Heyo, shall we? Uh, shall we hit a screen mail and then we can roll into some intermission? Sounds good. Yeah, to me. sure. Do we like this? All right. Yes. Here's the uh, next caller. Oh, nice whistle. Good like scale. That. that was a nice scale you did there, caller. Was that Andrew Combs? Oh. <laughs> It was punchy. I like it. If you want to give us a call, you can always give us a call at 612-263-7999. That's one sexy number, Lavish. Oh, well, I'm so glad you said so, Reverend Doctor. Uh, It just so happens you can call 612-263-SEXY, S-X-X-Y. You can scream. You can say something nice. You can ask uh, the Reverend Dr. Pfeiffer about about his Jack Parsons knowledge. Or about knowledge on the various many things that the Reverend may know. Yeah, so I, I'm actually meant to say this at the uh, the outset, but I'm not really a Jack Parsons expert, but I am definitely a Jack Parsons nerd. I think he's you're cool not shit. a hobbyist; you're an enthusiast. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, and Lavish and I were discussing this. He's definitely a portrait worthy gentleman. He's he, just the perfect like L.A. twenties guy. Yeah. This guy. Just an absolute madman, but he made such an impact on both American culture through the work on rockets and just he was out talking to sci fi guys, you know, he was influencing Ray Bradbury, he was influencing Robert Heinlein. Mm, yeah, Trooper's fame, yeah. Never yeah. came up uh we you didn't have time but to talk about the cafe where all these guys met up at uh starts with a C, I forget. But yeah, he's hanging out with all these great sci fi writers that and and we wouldn't have quote unquote gone to the moon without him. We wouldn't have been in the position we were during the space race if he didn't exist. He gave those contributions. Well, we wouldn't even gotten out of Earth's orbit. So yeah. And I, I think it really just goes to show how hugely influential science fiction can just have a a direct change on uh the human experience. 
whether mm-hmm. it be Parsons reading about rockets in a comic book and going on to create the fuel to take us to the moon, or even the kids watching fucking Star Trek and seeing the space doors open up and close and the little flip communicators, and um, it's all uh, very magical. <laughs> yeah, it's it's life imitating art when it comes to sci-fi a lot of the time. Uh, yep. Well, it's just you know, just having to make the imaginative leaps to get to where the sci-fi is. Or to have some smart person out there go, you know what? We could actually do that. Yeah. And we then, could actually you know, make a rocket. We could actually do this stuff. And then, of course, you know, fighting, fighting through all the fucking baseless claims of being quackery. Yes. Which, unfortunately, is always the hardest. Yeah. One of the hardest aspects of, of doing anything cutting edge is having people shit on you all day long about it yep there should be no science doctrine no science doctrine no science doctrine (laughs) science is about asking questions not having answers well no it's about both Uh, that's actually a dumb thing for me to say but you know what i mean do uh do you have anything for uh for intermission that you want to drop on us before we slap this tape in so I uh, did the intermission. Uh, yeah, there's a little bit on there of the of the Parsons poem, and there's also a little ditty that I wanted to send out because it is Memorial Day, and uh, and there's Memorial Weekend, and and to me that carries a little weight. So I threw a little Civil War classic in there. Nice, nice. appreciate uh, that. Um, yeah, cool. We'll uh, we'll be back here in about twelve minutes or so, and until then. Let's uh let's enjoy ourselves for tonight. Fire it up. See you soon. Pardiasis, 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 
Estamos jugando damas, no ajedrez. No, 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 hombre. Si mueves esa ficha ahí me la como. No, no te la puedes comer. ¿A qué sí? Used a horn of powder It made a noise like father's gun Only a name 
music and the step and with the girls behind me. There we saw a thousand men, all rich as Squire David. What they wasted every day, I wish we could have saved it. Yankee Doodle, keep it up. Yankee Doodle, da handy. Mind the music and the step and with the girls behind me. There they all would fight for fun or play on cornstalk fiddles. Some had sashes red as blood all wrapped around their middles. Yankee Doodle, keep it up. Yankee Doodle, da handy. Mind the music and the step and with the girls behind me. There they had a little keg all bound around with leather. They beat upon it with some sticks to call the men together. Yankee Doodle, keep it up. Yankee Doodle, da handy. Mind the music and the step and with the girls behind me. And there was General Washington, the gentle folks around him. They say he grows so tarnal proud he will not ride without them. Yankee Doodle, keep it up. Yankee Doodle, da handy. Mind the music and the step and with the girls behind me. And there they had a pumpkin shell as big as Mother's Basin. And every time they touched it off, they scampered like the nation. Yankee Doodle, keep it up. Yankee Doodle, da handy. Mind the music and the step and with the girls behind me. And there they all would gallop up and shoot right in our faces. It made me almost faint from fear to see them run such races. Yankee Doodle, keep it up. Yankee Doodle, da handy. Mind the music and the step and with the girls behind me. I can't tell you all I saw. They kept up such a bother. I took my hat off, made a bow, and scampered home to mother. Yankee Doodle, keep it up. Yankee Doodle, dandy. Mind the music and the step, and with the girls behind me. Yankee Doodle came to town, a riding on a pony. Stuck a feather in his cap and called it macaroni. Yankee Doodle, keep it up. Yankee Doodle, dandy. Mind the music and the step, and with the girls behind me. Oh, Yankee Doodle, keep it up. Yankee Doodle, dandy. I hate Don Quixote. I live on peyote, marijuana, morphine, and cocaine. I never know sadness, but only a madness that burns at the heart and the brain.
return to Behind the Schemes. Starring Booberry, Berry, 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 and Lavish, 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 Lavish. Welcome back to second second half of show, the all Jack Parsons special edition. Crack that beer. Crack that beer. I'm actually doing the man proud and getting in on a little DP myself. A DP? Oh yeah, a DP man. A double um what 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 a what? With Dr. Pepper, 23 Dr. flavors. Dr. Pepper. Oh, yeah. 23. Yeah. 23 herbs and spices. Nice. Yeah. Very tasty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it is currently May 30th, 2022. It's about 10.03 p.m. specific time, which means it's 12.03. Midnight in the sewer over in the Miniocalypse. Yes, uh, by three minutes. Yes, indeed. And uh, and then uh, we have the, the Reverend Dr. Pfeiffer, I believe. Yep. I'm in central time, too. Central time, central time, midnight in the sewer. Very good, very good. I'm living <laughs> in the past, man. <laughs> Get with the times, bro. I keep past tripping, bro. Uh, I feel like I'm just constantly, you know, two hours behind, man. Whoa, trippy. Sucks, bro. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do is uh, thank some producers that came out and helped produce tonight's episode. That, that's what's gonna happen that's what's up <laughs> uh we didn't have any paypal donations come through but we did have a boost right at the beginning of intermission and that was servo with the boost cli tool sending us he sent a uh, 111 sat saying teast hmm let's see if this works is, is the teast working teast oh. didn't work for me now let me try this. Seeing if we can get these boostograms to go. Maybe Fountain's just being crazy. Uh, yeah, I guess there was some issues at the beginning of the show. Um, I- I'm not sure what's up, and um, there's only so much I can troubleshoot during the show. So we'll get it figured out, uh, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get it straightened out. Uh, there was two things that we should address real quick. Uh, we did have a, a an email come in from Bully Steed. Um, Bully Steed, Dame Bully Steed. Yes, indeed. And uh, it's some movie list suggestions. Uh, so starting here at the top, I just watched Everything Everywhere All at Once, starring Michelle Yeo. Yeo on Yo. No Yo. I think it's Yeo. On uh, No Agenda's shut-in theater, fantastic. A nice change from the predictable programming available. Everything, I liked it, too. I have not seen it. It's good. Nice. Uh, I liked it. Uh, what's next? Now, about that Robert Eggers movie, The Witch, The Lighthouse, and The Northman. Booberry, I think you would love all three. I have seen The Witch. I've not seen The Lighthouse, but it looks very tempting. Uh, yeah, I watched a bit of it. It was okay. Robert Pattinson, I think, was miscast, but... But it was a good. It was okay. It was enjoyable. And then she can the witch you just talked about last week, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you mentioned my love of that movie. So. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he, he did. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I just thought, I thought it was synchronistic because that's what I was working on at the time. Uh, but Bully C continues like a good book. A good movie is worth reading or watching repeatedly. All three mm. movies have a mood and atmosphere and excellent acting as well. 
The Northman uses a lot of Norse uh, symbolism. I really want to watch that. That looks good. I like uh, Skarsgård. Yeah. Uh, I know it's ridiculous to suggest taking valuable time from your schedule to watch a movie, but sometimes a well-placed hour, 40-minute interlude can be a real paradigm shift. I like watching movies. Oh, there's a time and a place to watch a good long movie. No doubt. Um, and if you haven't seen it yet, please add to the film list Dr. Strangelove and Lolita. Mmm. We have definitely added Dr. Strangelove to the list, and I I, I have implored Booberry on one occasion to, uh, to watch it, because he owes it, uh, himself to watch it. But Lolita, I've actually never watched. And um, the the common thread between those two movies is they both star the incomparable, the legendary Peter Sellers, mm. and yep. uh, and that's what Boober, uh, I'm sorry, Bully Steed says, and she says Peter Sellers is in both. And after reading Lolita, I think Jeremy Irons' version is closer to the book, which is interesting. I've seen neither version. Now she also said that the heart glasses in our logo. Uh... It was, sorry, please add to the film list, Dr. Strangelove and Lolita, in parentheses, which the heart glasses in your logo borrow. Um, I wonder if that's oh. talking about the uh, the nuclear blast art. Yeah. Is that is that a Lolita reference? <laughs> and you didn't even know it? <laughs> and I'm going to continue not to know it. <laughs> wow. Hey, Imagine at least, that. At least it's not swirly hearts. Or him, her looking at. Well, I, I now that she mentions it, I feel like I've seen that image before. Uh, I think they did a Lolita version with Alicia Silverstone, and that imagery was in that she had like those big sunglasses going, mm-hmm, the big plastic frame ones. Yeah, very interesting. Mm. Uh, was and it? she rounds it off with. As always, Mr. Mothman, beautiful show notes, and beautiful they are. Oh, thank you. Uh, sincerely, Dame Bully Steed, Dame added by me. P.S. you mind if I finish this off, by the way? I, I didn't mean to. Uh, go for it. That. That's fine. Uh, P.S. I'm hoping to meet up with foam-fingered number one fan, Mary-Kate Ultra. you going to meet up with Mary-Kate Ultra at the Tom Starkweather No Agenda Meetup in Tampa, Florida on June 11th. Well, that's in practically no time. That's that'll be next Saturday. So that's very cool. Sweet. I don't know if you saw the picture that Make Heroism had posted <laughs> based off of an image I had dropped on the socials. But Maybe I saw that I, I was did. like, ah oh, shit. <laughs> I can hang with this guy. He's wearing this like leopard mask and he's got sort of a uh Han Solo vibe going, but with a like a, this furry vest. Ah uh, uh, yeah. It's great. Great photo. Swank. Swank <laughs> well, that'll be a cool meetup. I'd rather go to that meetup than go to the um, South Carolina one. Uh, that that sounds like a fucking cool, really fun time going into Tampa, Florida. Hell yeah. Well, you hope you guys have a great time at that. Yes, indeed. Uh, speaking of which, they also, uh, Mary-Kate Ultra and Make Heroism sent us some stuff to play right before the show. I didn't get a chance to add it into the notes, but there's, uh, I got a short version that's 17 seconds and a long version that's 28 seconds. And this is a completely cold listen. Oh boy, here we go. Six, one, two, three. 
Damn, they make the sexiest ones. <laughs> Hell yeah, Fletcher. Oh my. Oh my. And uh, that, that last boost there was from Fletcher through the Breeze app for 5,555 sats, saying boo, ooh, 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 since the uh, ghost emoji in there, saying till see evolve Fletcher. Till C evolve, Fletcher. Till C, till C evolve, till C evolve. I like that. Love is tilled. <laughs> Love, is, Love is the law. Love under lit. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I <laughs> Love know what that will. I don't want to double back uh, too terribly hard, but I did find the uh, Crowley letter. That I was referencing, where every syllable or every word that he writes in this is one syllable. Uh, the law of the strong. This is our law, and the joy of the world. Do what thou wilt shall be at the whole of the law. Thou has no right but to do thy will. Do that, and no. Oh, here's one I fucked up. Other shall say nay. <laughs> uh, every other. Uh, to live in the way that he wills to do, to work as he will, to play as he will, to rest as he will, to die and how he will. Man has a right to eat what he will, to drink what he will, to dwell where he will. It's oh, pretty... is that, is that Libra Oz? Yeah. Uh, 77? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I just, I just linked it. Um, but we should, I'm cool. sorry, uh, we should get back to this, uh, longer version that Mary-Kate Ultra and Make Heroism sent in. Swanky danky. I like the layering in that. Yes. There's some excellent production going on. (laughs) Quite high quality product these guys are throwing our way. Thank you so much. That's super cool. They've had come out with a couple of really nice number jingles lately. So Yeah. They're they're bangers. Yeah. Crushing it is uh is how that goes. Uh, uh, She was orgasmic for her. Uh, Uh, (laughs) Oh my goodness. As they say. The kind of jingle that you hear and you you kind of want to unzip your pants. Yes. That's exactly exactly how I describe it. Yes. Um, Before we move on, unless is is that the final thought on on those kind folks sending in that fucking great set of jingles? Uh, Yes, that was it. Before we move on from Dame Bully Seed, I, I didn't mention, and I hope it's okay if I do, that she sent me a very nice birthday card. Oh, nice. Which I have to just, I have to thank her. That was really sweet. I got it on my birthday. It was, uh, it was wonderful. So thank you. I really appreciated it. And I didn't expect it. <laughs> I was like, what is this? <laughs> um, this is great. So thanks for that. And thanks for the birthday well wishes from everybody who's, who's given me that. Cause a lot of people have come out of the wood work and, uh, I even got a birthday shout out on the hog story that followed no agenda yesterday. 
Uh, you were the first caller in, if I'm not mistaken, Booberry. Yes. <laughs> you slid right in there. Total, as you total sometimes alpha can Chad. <laughs> <laughs> That's my Booberry. I was listening to the hog story, man, and I was like, yeah, boobs, right on. First one, fuck you. <laughs> fuck everybody. That was a total Ed Foreman move, Booberry. <laughs> <laughs> Right away. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're starting it off right. Starting off strong. We gotta go. Uh, well, Fletcher I, says he'll come out for my wood. Thank it, you, Fletcher. And I didn't get a chance to say it on the uh, on the air with the hogs and Sir Bemrose, but if anybody is looking for tools to build chapters, let me know, and I will, I will definitely send you Sir Bemrose's chapter builder. It's great. I love it. It does exactly what I needed to do. Boom. You did get one thing out on on the hog that was very specific that I laughed at, which was like, if anybody out there is listening and they know how to work video on No Agenda Tube Live with da-da-da, and you, you, went, you said something kind of really specific, and I was like, yeah. I imagine there's like one guy who's like, that's me. <laughs> I'm that guy. I can help. Oh, it, shit. It was specifically to get videos from a No Agenda RSS, or excuse me, no agenda tube RSS feed to play inside a curio caster. Okay. Yeah. So if you know how to do that, let us know. You can, you can get him at, uh, boo at behind the schemes or lavish behind the schemes.com. Oh, there was one other person that I wanted to thank as well. And that's servo. Uh, not only for the work that he does every week with gal and, uh, uh, but he also went through and archived all of our show notes going back from episode, it's like 33 or 34, all the way up oh, until last week. Really? Yep. Well, that's mighty kind of you. Thank you, Servo. And, uh, it's a, <laughs> it turns out it's, it's a little beefy for what it should be. It's a beefy, uh, sized file. <laughs> no, no, no way. <laughs> <laughs> i know i know i'm just overstuffing it man hey hey i had to get a whole new hard drive just for the show <laughs> everything i do for the show i put on a separate hard drive oh yeah we're uh, we we get a lot of shit man we go through a lot of material and um yeah i i'm really leaning towards uh some sort of network attached storage is the right move to make now and not you know, 300 episodes from now. Sure. Yeah. If we're going to jump on that, yeah. you might as well. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll circle back to that. See, see what we got going. But thank yeah. you, Servo. That's really kind of you, man. Archiving. That's a, uh, that's a big deal around these parts. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Yep. I've definitely saved pretty much. If, if you hear it on the show, I've got to save somewhere. <laughs> yeah, me too. That's why I had to get it. That's why. Like, well, shit. Hell yeah. Um, but yes, if you would like to get in on the action of supporting public radio, uh, through the value for value method, you can head over to behind the com and, uh, just reach out and touch us all sorts of ways that you can help support public radio. Yes, we are the public radio now. We <laughs> operate on a fantastic network of all kinds of shows that operate on this model that are public radio that talk about a myriad of topics. And if it's, it's, you've never been able to access information in a cheaper or more fun and interesting and engaging way. Uh, so you'd be foolish, <laughs> foolish to not take advantage 
of this incredible uh, opportunity that all of us have in front of us. So please, uh, you can support any value value show whatsoever. And you can also join us in our chat room uh, at hashtag green room on irc.zeronode.net. We use an old jank Windows 95 chat room that can't be uh, messed with too bad. You know, any any pro in the tech sector knows that if you want to stay under the radar, you, you use old tech. So we use a good old-fashioned classic chat room, IRC. Yes, science! Yeah, that's you right. you got to be careful about the chat room, though, because if you hang out in there too much, eventually the host might ask you to be on the show. <laughs> that's the problem that you may face, especially in the green room. Yes. <laughs> if we like you enough, we might just ask you to be on the show. <laughs> But uh, come you know, join my web. It's a <laughs> it's a fine large web that Booberry casts. <laughs> Only the finest of silk, straight from my asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Imported from my asshole. <laughs> oh my god, that's dirty. It's filthy, Ugh. and we wouldn't be able to say shit like this if you know we were hosted by. My dildo or whatever. Yeah, we'd have whatever to be company. S- sitting here being all like... Hail science. Yeah. I yeah. accidentally told a bunch of normies that I was going to be going on this podcast. Uh-oh. Oh, God. <laughs> so I either, <laughs> I either hit them in the mouth or they just think I'm really fucking weird now. You know, it's 50-50, man. A lot of people are into this fun stuff. We, we, These are my we, friends. We, all my friends are weirdos. It's, it's open-minded. You're not weird. You're just open-minded. No doubt. You're just hashtag doing the work. (laughs) Servo said win-win. I think I have to agree. Yeah. Yeah, it's a win-win. You want to weed out the... You know know what I'm trying to say. Well, Lavish, would you like to get into some of the clips that you got? I can round us off for tonight. Yeah, sure. Uh, Well, I I did just have one clip on Jack Parsons that I brought through on top of this other thing I'm going to talk about. But I do want to just... Rip that one clip since seeing as how we're, we're still fresh off of that. Uh, this is from the documentary that you mentioned, Strange Angels, I think is the name of it. And uh, he, there's this one bit in where he talks about a fire elemental uh, when, when some of this fuel gets loose and starts spraying fire everywhere. They started describing it in a very occulty way, which I liked. If you could play JP1. Jack Parsons in particular was, despite his outwardly laissez-faire and charismatic personality, very much a serious scientist who left nothing to chance. He was well regarded by professors and academic scientists as an individual who applied caution when dealing with potentially dangerous substances and equipment. So it came as some surprise when on the third attempt to start a rocket motor that the fuel hose connecting to the nozzle mysteriously came loose and danced like a fire elemental in every direction, almost immolating Parsons and the team who scurried out of the way as it lashed to and fro among the improvised outside laboratory. Metaphorically, Parsons had conjured a devil and he had survived not unlike the non-material devil which he claimed to have unleashed as a child when he first began his experimentation with magic and conjuration. Yet the fiery elemental, unleashed in Aurora Seco that afternoon, no more altered Parsons' desire to put a man on the moon and explore the reaches of the cosmos 
that his initial terrifying experimentation with the magical sciences would later prevent him from exploring the limits of space-time and human consciousness. In fact, the remarkable achievements of America's space program would hardly have been possible without Jack Parsons the rocket scientist and Jack Parsons the occultist. That's true. True story. Uh, yeah, I like that. It was cool. Yeah, I yeah, like I like the story where they were doing all the the rituals in house, and he's documenting in his journals, like chasing spirits down with swords that were hanging off the wall or hanging from the wall. He just grabbed one and fucking chased it down the hallway. It's <laughs> <laughs> so one way to do it. Might as well. I wonder if it was a silver sword, like in Witcher. I did Ooh. like how how dramatic that clip was. Like it's so and, dramatic, and the pros, like how prosaic it was, as considering like they were just unflat, they were not um, disturbed by that at all. They kind of just ran for their lives and then just laughed it off and been like, "Okay, we learned something." Yeah, I mean, to be those guys, that's just got to be like any other Tuesday. Oh, I like, almost got blown up. Whatever. Frank Molina wrote to his parents and said, "You know that he didn't really even mention that accident. He was just like." Uh, we didn't really get a successful fire, but it was, uh, we got a lot of good information. Mm. You know, sometimes luck, actually a lot of times, really, always, luck is, is such a big part of of somebody who makes it and, and is known now in hindsight as, as a great influencer, a great person in a field like Jack Parsons. But the truth is, is he could have been blown up at any point. Oh yeah. You know, anytime between him being 17 years old on, he could have killed himself at any point. And it was only by sheer luck. And I mean, a luck is an element to it, right? That he made it as long as he did and as far as he did. And there are certain people in history where, um, especially like in, in military, uh, and there was like great generals, Washington, Grant, whatever. They're like, it's, it's a miracle that these guys survived as long as they did. They should have, died you know in battle at some point with all these bullets and shells flying everywhere but they don't they happen to make it and that's that's an element that i think when the masons and all these guys talk about providence that's almost another word for luck it's a supernatural guided form of luck and i think with parsons he probably felt that he was divinely influenced by whatever uh, Thelemation elements, you know, these, these Egyptian demons or whatever that Crowley was conversing with, or whoever, Babylon, whatever. Th- there's just a certain element to it where it's luck, but it's also almost like a guardian angel looking out for you, you know? And sometimes in life, things happen to you where you're like, man, I really should have hurt myself just now. But I didn't um, because of whatever you want to believe, luck. Etc. Fairy godmother. Fairy godmother. Tooth fairy. Krampus. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <the> Krampus. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, in Thelma, there's the, there's, in Thelma, there's the idea of the holy guardian angel. And knowledge and conversation of the, of the holy guardian angel is one of the uh, religious concepts. Mm-hmm. But where, and a lot of times it basically just comes through as your intuition. Right. It's something that, that can't quite be defined or touched, but it's there. It's like the wind. And it's your spider sense. Yeah. Indeed. It's part of your intuition. 
And Crowley, the the most Crowley, the most famous thing, uh, sort of writer or magic that he did in my mind that stands out to me is when he was at Bolskin House. I think that's the name of Bolskin House, where Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin later bought that house. It's burnt down now. But Crowley did a, a six-month-long ritual, uh, which was very strict and was definitely had nothing to do with hedonism. It was it was you know bread and water oh, yeah. for like six the, months. The Abermellon ritual is notoriously strict. Yes, I think that's the yeah. I'm pretty sure that's the ritual. Yeah, you're, that's about. the Abermellon ritual. And and the ritual, as I understand it, is is you're conjuring various entities until you get to your spirit guardian. You're summoning this person. You're not my spirit guardian. You banish them. You summon something. You're not my spirit guardian. You banish them. And you do that over and over and over and over again until you finally get your actual spirit guardian and commune with them on the same plane. And as I, as I understand it, Crowley uh, didn't accomplish this feat. He couldn't do it. He couldn't make it all that way without, you know, hey, <laughs> he was doing too much heroin and having too much sex to, to actually go through with yeah. that kind of a stringent uh, ritual. He attempted it two or three times and never completed it. Yeah, and he didn't get through with it. And unfortunately, what you do is you—the idea is you open a rift. You, you know, you you get all of these energies to come through, and all of that stuff sort of lingers, especially if you don't finish the ritual and seal it away and have the the divine intervention of your spirit guardian enacting in the ritual itself. Uh, so you're you're saying it might not have been Parsons and LRH, it might have been Crowley that unleashed Hillary Clinton on the world? I think uh there's <laughs> hey there's Bush a, willing. Bush willing. The man. great philosopher Mick Jagger put it this way. Who killed the Kennedys? It was you and me. Well after all, it was you and me, man. And maybe Sir Hans or Hand, maybe not. Bobby Kennedy doesn't <laughs> think so. Well and the mafia and yeah, various other people. Uh, yeah, I mean, who killed the Kennedys? That's that's obvious. But it's you and me, man. We all we're all part of it. We're the ones here. We're the ones living through the times, and that's kind of one of the reasons why we do the show. Is you know we don't want to be just a hundred percent complicit in the sham. We want to call it out for what it is while we're here. No, if we're co-creating reality, we have um to we have the obligation to co-create a reality where there's not so much of that. Where we're not wanting to kill the president all the time. Yeah. It shouldn't be about violence. It should be about creation. It shouldn't be about destruction. It should be about creation. But yeah, once you once you have a certain world view, it almost becomes your obligation uh to manifest a better world. Yes. Which is the the ultimate view from Crowley and, and a lot of these guys, I mean, from Crowley to Malcolm X. All of these guys that went through these paths of trying to find different ways to exercise force or to to spread an idea or to enact what they saw in their minds as justice or truth, it it usually goes through all of these different wheels and then boils right back down to, you know, just do what you want to do, just treat people well. The golden rule, treat treat others as you want to be treated, (laughs) you know, sort of a situation. Uh, Anyway. What else uh, that, we got here? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Fiverr. That part, that particular wisdom, you know, holds true through many different metaphysics. So, yeah, 
it's uh it, it almost comes through like Newtonian. It's a one for one, you know, action reaction force with equal force. It's just uh it's in the fabric of, of who we are and what we are. In the in the cosmos, as it were. And uh we're all yeah, shit. We I feel like we always end up tying things into like sacred geometry and things like that, as far as we can, as far as we're capable. Um but uh Anyway, the rest of the material that I have brought tonight uh, has to do with a stupid thing that I remember. It, like I said, it's it's Memorial Weekend, and uh, if you listen to the show, uh, or if you don't, I'll just let you know right now. I, I seem to have a thing for the Civil War, and I have for like the last year. I've read a lot of books on the Civil War. I've read U.S. Grant's memoirs, Lincoln's you know books on Lincoln, and Civil War era stuff. And um, I remember that there was, and I, I love all that stuff, and it's Memorial Weekend, and Memorial Day is based on just the sheer amount of people that died in a, basically a four-year period, Americans who died, um, fighting this war. And it was a very terrible, brutal war, and it's very important in our national identity. And it's it's the only thing that you can compare to, say, something like the founding of the country which is obviously a very important part of our history. And there's only one or two things that are around that that could match up to that sort of grandeur of the stakes, you know, of of what is at hand. And the Civil War is one of those things. And um, it's infinitely complicated. And if you read one thing or another, all you know is that you just need to read 10 more books on it to understand the one book that you just read. Well, like Parsons' Life. Where, you know, you can't skim through it all in an hour or two. You, you really got to look out through all the cracks and crevices and all these other people that touched his life, like L. Ron Hubbard. L. Ron Hubbard is just, oh, God. We could do five episodes on that guy. <laughs> um, but with the Civil War, I, I remember that there was this kind of dumb thing. Everybody knows uh, ancient aliens and all that crap, like the lowest level of, you know, conspiracy entertainment type of uh, format. And they did a little bit on, on Civil War aliens. They or they had this story that they they, they dug up. It was about the 20th uh, Maine Volunteer Infantry Regiment. And back during the Civil War, you have to understand, it was one of the first wars that had mass conscription in the sense that the vast majority of soldiers fighting in the war were made up from volunteers. Guys that weren't regular soldiers, they had no training. They just felt compelled to fight for this cause, whatever it may be, on whatever side. And so most of the guys fighting in the Civil War were just people, just regular people with muskets. And uh, their worth and their their soldiership was measured out of learning on the go. And so, you know, you've got these guys that, like, fought in all these different great battles, and these regiments start to gain this sort of uh, fame and, and notoriety, in some cases, through these major battles. And one of them, one of the greatest battles of of the Civil War, the one that I think is the most famous probably, is Gettysburg. And uh, there was a there was an instance of the, the main 20th going to Gettysburg and uh, having a sort of a supernatural experience on the way. Uh, if you'll play Civil War Aliens 1, Mr. Booberry. Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. 
July 2nd, 1863. Two years and three months into the Civil War, 337,000 men lie dead, over 13 times as many casualties as the United States suffered during the Revolutionary War. But after so much bloodshed, neither side has a clear advantage. The majority of the fighting has taken place in the southern states. But Confederate General Robert E. Lee, who is gaining a reputation as being invincible, decides to make an aggressive move and advance into Union territory. Robert E. Lee decides that he will take the war north for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's going to relieve pressure on the farmers in Virginia who are trying to grow crops, feed themselves, feed the army. And second, politically, uh, he knows that there is a lot of pressure on Abraham Lincoln to win this war. Northern voters, northern politicians are angry that this war is carrying on so far. While the Confederates were massing for attack, reinforcements from the 20th Maine Volunteer Infantry Regiment were called in, commanded by Colonel Joshua Chamberlain. Chamberlain rushes his troops towards the little round top. He comes to a crossroads. And he said there was an eerie figure in a tri-corner hat pointing the way to the little roundtop, the right road to take. And he said it looked like George Washington. Could this ghostly vision have been merely an illusion? Although the story sounds incredible, Secretary of War Edwin Stanton appointed a member of his staff to speak with a number of the men who experienced this vision. And it is said that he gathered unwavering testimony, claiming that the encounter was real. In the end, the 20th Maine would repel the Confederate attack on Little Round Top and save the day for the Union Army. Yes, indeed. Uh, so they see this figure of George Washington in the woods that points them to the Battle of Gettysburg, and these guys end up being really important in the battle. And Gettysburg is 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 kind of one of the turning points of the war and where, as he said, General Lee of the South makes the he takes the offensive. All along he's known as a defensive guy. He he knows how to fortify, he knows how to make his supplies last and how to facilitate working on low resources. But in this case, he wants to take the initiative. He wants to take command of the of the pace of the war. And so he makes this big rush, basically on, he's trying to go towards Washington. And there's at one point, he's so close to Washington, D.C., he can see the city, he can see the the uh, skyline. And uh, these guys do this battle, and they fight him off, and it's a massive battle, a ton of people die. And uh, and these guys save the day. And, and Stanton, as he said, who's the Secretary of War under Lincoln, does an official investigation. I was trying to look into this. I was trying to see what else I could find. Fortunately, I couldn't Google too many resources that backed up all of this stuff. I really wanted to get some sort of... If, if, if Secretary Stanton really did do an investigation, then there should be some, uh, some official government docu- documentation on the whole matter. And I was trying to find that, <clears throat> but uh, I didn't have any luck. But I thought that was kind of an interesting little story. Just given what the day is and and all of that. Seeing the ghost of Washington. Wow. Yeah. And that's the way to die, kids. And and that's it. Yeah. 
Yeah, that must have been not, I mean, too terribly much longer after Washington's passing. Like, yeah, it was possible for, hell, even your parents could have served with him or under one of his commanders. Or grandparents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there are people, Lee's, Lee's family, uh, Lee's grandfather, I think, served under Washington. So, yeah, there's definitely a, a, a pretty tight connection in Washington at the time, especially... In uh, in that part of the world, in Virginia, and in you know Washington D.C., yeah, he's the man. Uh, as a matter of fact, he himself, Washington, along with Jefferson and Franklin, wrote about uh, their thoughts on extraterrestrial life. If you'll play Civil War Aliens Two, we do have clues that Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin and George Washington all believed in extraterrestrial life. Thomas Jefferson gave a famous lecture about the unusual UFO sighting by a person named William Dunbarton in Baton Rouge in 1800. Benjamin Franklin wrote in his Poor Richard's Almanac about life on other worlds and apparently was a believer in that. And George Washington had a very famous angelic vision at Valley Forge. And so it would seem that George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and Benjamin Franklin were very much believers in extraterrestrials and life on other planets. Is it possible that extraterrestrials have been guiding the course of America since its very beginning and intervened in the Civil War to ensure that the great experiment would continue? Ancient astronaut theorists suggest further evidence that an otherworldly force was present at this point in history can be found by examining a recurring dream that Abraham Lincoln had of his own death. He sees a body on the catafalque wrapped in mourning clothing. The body is being guarded by Union soldiers. He asks one of the soldiers, who is dead in the White House? And one of the soldiers says, it's the president. He's been killed by an assassin. Lincoln's belief that he would rise to greatness and then die prematurely was something that was of long standing. And it's a testament to his courage that he fulfilled his destiny. He believed that he was uniquely suited to become president, to carry the country through the great crisis of disunion. And he part and parcel with that belief in his destiny to become president was his belief that he would be slain. How about that for do it that will? Abe Lincoln found a star. He knew. He knew which star to travel by. He knew what his purpose was. Says, I'm going to be the guy that does this. Yeah. Weren't he and Mary Todd doing seances in the White House and shit too? Yeah, uh, a little bit. Uh, Mary Todd was a uh, was was a spooky one. There's no doubt about it. And Lincoln, he's a. Uh, He's a, he's a big bullshitter, you know. He, he, this whole thing. Well, is he, like, he's, he's a lawyer. He's a lawyer <laughs> for sure. So let's not, you know. There's there's an Aesop fable somewhere about a, a scorpion and a frog <laughs> that should describe that situation. But yeah, he, he's he's a lawyer, but he's also just a total bullshitter and a storyteller. He he invented the uh, the filibuster, you know. His whole life was just filibustering people. Someone would be like, Mr. President, 
What do you think about the 15,000 people that just died yesterday in Shiloh? What do you think about all those people? And Lincoln would be like, let me tell you a story about a dog. And he would, like, tell a 15-minute story about a dog. And everybody would be like, uh, all right. Well, that's it. That's what we get. Okay, great. Thanks. Thanks, Mr. President. Uh, Yes. See, back then you had to work for it. Now you just have to get up there and just say climate change or something, and you're in. Well, back then the journalists couldn't stay too long because they were starving. They were like, if I don't get out of here, I'm going to die of starvation. I need to go farm (laughs) some land and, like, slaughter a pig. And I have things I need to do aside from just, like... Books that need to be inked. (laughs) (laughs) I've got to go duel my boss. And I've got to go fire up the printer with this nitroglycerin base. And I've got, you know, other shit to do other than just bitch about this. And there were just... There were no Adam Schiff's in the White House press corps. No, 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 no. Like, did you, did were, you answer the fat. question? <laughs> <laughs> One day you're fucking a pig head at college, and the next you're the prime minister of England. It's a true story. True story. <laughs> it's based on a true story. This novel is based. It's based as fuck. Anyway, that's all I have to say. I think I. You know what's funny about the fucking ancient aliens thing? Nothing delegitimizes anything quicker than that voice of just like ancient astronaut theorists theorize that just makes me ugh, clench up inside. Ancient just ruins everything. <laughs> ancient astronaut hypothesizers hypothesize the aliens. Ancient? I mean, it kind of just sounds like Jack Parsons and Ed Foreman hanging around, like, high on mescaline, drinking absinthe, and shit talking about the the stars, man. <laughs> it's just what a great life that, that man lived, you know? You get to brew absinthe, do hard drugs, blow shit up, sleep with a bunch of people, get fucked by L. Ron Hubbard. I mean, what else could you ask for? What else could a man ask for in life? He what did a, it. He what did a, it. What a dream. The American dream. Period. What a guy. Booberry, you do bring up an important po- uh, point. Even though he didn't do it while he was alive, you know, Jack Parsons' dream was getting us off planet. And he fucking did it. Yep. Yes, he did. And I definitely think that Jack Parsons uh, leads to the argument that the moon is A, in fact, real, and B, that we went there. I'm just saying, I'm not trying to, you know, kick up any sort of huge shit fit between anybody. I'm just saying. Hey, motherfucker. What did you just say? (laughs) I'm just saying, let's put this one, let's put another tick mark in the box for the moon is real. Hey, this is part of it. There's a lot of data to to process, and there's a lot of evidence on both sides. There's good people on both sides. And I would, oh, (laughs) there's very (laughs) fine people. Very fine evidence on both sides. I actually, uh, one of my math professors in college was a uh, shuttle astronaut, so I kind of lean on the side that space is real at least, mm. and the moon <laughs> is real, And maybe, but maybe the story of the moon landing isn't quite as cut and dry as we're told. That's my theory, too, is that we've been to space and we've done stuff, but Apollo 11 was a chalk. 
It was a total fucking chalk. They fucked up. It was great. Good for them, though. That's that's just how life is sometimes, you know? I could be wrong. Yep. Well, I do, um... Hmm. Let's see. I'm trying to <laughs> judge time here. Um, I want to first hit you with this, uh... <laughs> is Hillary Clinton the whore of Babylon, like we promised, if that's all right? Yes! Yes. Trump was very connected to the 2016 run-up to the election with Hillary Clinton. Uh, the WikiLeaks revealed that there were occultists around her who believed that she was actually the fulfillment right. of that those experiments in the desert called the Babylon Working, mm-hmm. where the founder mm-hmm. of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory uh, and actually the founder of the Church of Scientology, mm-hmm. L. Ron Hubbard, they get together, they're conducting the Babylon Working, ritual sex magic for mm-hmm. one purpose, to bring through a dimensional veil into our reality the archetype divine feminine, the whore of Babylon, right? Yeah. To incarnate it within uh, a female that he believed would grow up. He wrote about it in his biography. She'll grow up. She'll become an influential, worldwide-known feminist who will help give rise to the Antichrist. Mm -hmm. They believed that that was Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. Uh, In one of the other programs, uh, maybe we can get into all the details about why that is so and the importance of that uh, that's been announced now that Hillary Clinton is very likely going to run for president again, again. in 2020 <laughs> but guess what in 2020 she will be 72 years old ah, this is one wild. of the most again one of the most important occult markers uh, and it's going to again cause the occultists around her to believe that she is the incarnation of that entity which by the way One year after this child was supposedly born in 1947, the year Hillary Clinton was born, Mm -hmm. another reason they believe she is, Mm -hmm. Jack Parsons wrote a book called Book of the Antichrist. And in that book, he says that this one-year-old child now, the spirit of it came to him in a vision, said, I'm alive, I'm on the earth, I'm doing well, I'm going to grow up and help the Antichrist come to power. And oh, by the way, my name, this is in one line of (laughs) the Book of Antichrist written in 1948, my name is Hilarion, which is the arcane Hillary. So you have to ask yourself, why the occultists around her believe that? Well, mathematically, who else was named Hillary born in 1947 that became an internationally known feminist that has the power to take the reins of the most powerful nation on earth? My name is Hilarion. (laughs) Hilarious. Oh, that was delicious. That was a delicious clip. I loved it. Yeah, it's a little Fantastic. dated. It's from 2018, and of course, uh, uh, Hillary Clinton was not in the running for presidential candidate. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I guess it's really just about cross-referencing who was born in the United States. That's got the name that sounds similar to Hillary in the year of 1948. <laughs> I like how assured he is of it. It's pretty funny. Of course. Who else could? Who else is there? She's the leading candidate. Yep. No doubt. Uh, so I do have a series of clips, and we're not going to get through all of them, of course. Uh, but the, these come from a video. It's a. Uh, it's an interview with Robert <clears throat> Anton Wilson, a famous magician and and uh, uh, science fiction writer, and a great writer for Rolling Stone. Mm. And one of the OG Rolling Stone crew. He uh, 
so one of the topics at hand is uh, trying to decide because all of them are really juicy. Um, I want to start. Oh, with... It was a Playboy. He, he wrote for Playboy, not Rolling Stone. My bad. He, that sounds more accurate because he was starting his uh, Illuminatus trilogy. Tri- uh, trilogy in Rolling Stone, right? Uh, was it was it Rolling Stone? I thought it was Playboy. Now I have to look this up. He he also wrote the intro to uh, Sex and Rockets, one of the other <laughs> biographies of uh, Jack Parsons. Yep, that's the one that I have a, a copy of. Yeah. yeah. Playboy. Also, Prometheus Rising is dope. I'm not familiar with that one. Prometheus Rising? If I'm thinking about the same thing. Yeah, that, that's the one where he gets into like the metaphysics of a bunch of shit. And gives you a bunch of like exercises, like start visualizing quarters, and then see how many quarters you find on the ground, kind of mm, thing. Yes, yes, yes. Basically, just like little baby steps to try to convince people that, like, hey, there's something weird going on here. Oh, lavish! Speaking of which, I found another bicentennial quarter on the ground at work the other day. Oh, yeah, and little drummer man in the back of the quarter. It's one of my favorite quarters. Oh shit! Oh shit! Oh shit! Get to be oh, sandbags! God. Sandbags! <laughs> <laughs> All right, goggles, goggles. Here we go. Get back. Oh, yes. Yeah. Thank God people aren't on fountain and are able Suicide to Suicide Squad. That was uh, Fletcher using Breeze with fifty-five, fifty-five again, saying, "Would I boost in your what? In your what? What? Breezing in your what? Boost breeze in my what?" He said, oh my, uh, sorry, but that fountain apparently is uh, shitting the bed right now. But if you find some other podcasting 2.0 complete apps on nudepodcastapps.com, perhaps boost mm-hmm. if you're lucky. Um, oh, you know what? There was one other thing. Uh, I'm not going to play it, but it turns out that there is also uh, stage plays of Jack Parsons' life that exists. So if you're going down through the show notes, it's kind of there towards the top. Uh, it's from Scarlet Imprint. They've got a book called Babylon and Other Plays, and uh, it details uh, Jack Parsons' life. So and Peter Gray is the proprietor of the Scarlet Imprint uh, publishing house, mm-hmm. and he's probably like the leading Jack Parsons scholar right now. I have a book of his called The Two Antichrist, which really goes into detail between him and L. Ron Hubbard, but it is a difficult read. So I just really, I didn't include it in my cramming for this episode. I got you. Mm. Um, like he's a, well, he's a magic guy. So he writes like a magic guy, and it's just so thick. It's all obfuscated. Yeah. Hmm. A fan of Joyce. Um, so getting back to Robert Anton Wilson, this clip details how science and occultism sort of stem from the same branch and uh how you know b- before the church really got a stranglehold on everything the two were deeply and uh just thoroughly intertwined well the separation between science and occultism is a fairly modern thing in the renaissance science and occultism were very closely related as i mentioned kepler and newton and practically everybody else who was important and the creation of the scientific revolution was also a practicing occultist. 
The outstanding example is Giordano Bruno, who was burned by the Catholic Church, burned at the stake on February 16th, 1600 in Rome. Bruno was uh, charged with 18 counts of heresy, and including practicing magic uh, and uh, teaching the Copernican theory of astronomy and uh, founding secret societies to oppose the Vatican. Uh, Francis Yates, a leading historian about Rodeba, who uh, her major topic was the birth of the modern scientific worldview in the Renaissance. She thinks Bruno may have founded either Freemasonry or Rosicrucianism, or maybe both of them. And in that tradition, uh, Adam Weishaupt, the founder of the Illuminati, is another uh, person in that tradition, and Alistair Crowley is another. He was Parsons' major teacher. The, the general view is that science is based on experiment and occultism is based on woozy thinking and blind faith. But the kind of occultism that the Western world has produced through, from the Renaissance to the present has been based on uh, the same principles as science. It's based on very simple things. You do this and you observe the result. It's science, baby. Yes, science! Easy as that. Science, bitch. <laughs> yeah. And it kind of yeah, it goes back to when I was talking about Jack Parsons summoning the storm. Like, you do the ritual and then you observe what happens. Mm-hmm. And it, it, so it is very much kind of like the, that's why you look at these magical journals, journals, they're all just weird and disjointed. Because it only makes sense to the person that did the ritual. And I would mm. definitely argue that RSS feeds fall into that same exact category. There, I said it. <laughs> it's out in the open now. <laughs> wow. I change something and then we observe the, uh, or reflect on the changes. Or observe it's like the magic changes. Yeah. Or it, science. It, it is exactly or science. Both. And and the pod deck pod, pod, podcast index specifically is also very punk rock. So there's a there's a really good amalgamation of flavors coming in. Mm. And I would also say that the inverse of what, what Wilson was saying there is is true too, that science can be approached with a religious zeal, which is a problem. Mm-hmm. But, yes. Yes, uh, you know, he actually, uh, one of the first clips that I pulled from this interview with Wilson, uh, he's talking about how out of all of the libertarians that uh, Robert would disagree with over his life, Jack Parsons is the one guy that he agreed with wholeheartedly. Mm. And he uh, he goes on the state that if he had enough money, he would print out a copy of Freedom is a Two-Edged Sword and produce one for every house in America. And I just have a, a couple of brief uh, quotes from that. I read it today. It's pretty good. I like it. Uh, the first one was, Freedom is a two-edged sword of which one edge is liberty and the other responsibility. Both edges are exceedingly sharp and the weapon is not suited to casual, cowardly, or treacherous hands. Um... He goes on further to say, uh, science is a tool and has nothing to do with ultimate truth. Herein is the danger of science. Uh, further stating, today's science must forever be free to overthrow its yesterdays. Otherwise, it will degenerate uh, degenerate into ancestor worship. Mm. I posted that last passage. Is. 
I posted that last message as like one of my last Facebook posts before I quit. It was very unpopular. What? It was, it was during the entire trust the science thing. What? Uh, no and way. I was just, so that was like my little passive aggressive pushback was to po- like to post that quote. <laughs> and people were just like, isn't that the sex wizard who blew himself up? It's just like this whole thing that just got in <laughs> character assassination. Like, oh, they said something that could be construed to, to be against this agenda. So, uh, well, you know, it's, it's, let's cancel him. Oh, Shady you're talking about the classic. <laughs> Shady. Shady. It's, it's like the classic Shady. religious. Oh, sorry. Shady. Oh, please allow me. <laughs> allow you. Uh, I, I don't remember anymore. It's like the religious argument of you reject logic for the ad hominem attack. Right? It's the, it's the Mr. Smith.exe that you just, you're just programmed to go on the defensive. Or, yes. or uh, I guess in this instance, it would be offensive. De-aggressive. Uh, but the last part that I have highlighted, uh, fortuitously enough, is it must also be understood that we cannot force man's rights upon him. Man has a right to be a slave if he so de- desires. If he does not assert and defend his rights, he deserves slavery. The person who is tyrannized by his family peers by public opinion or slave mortality... Morality, excuse me, providing he is free to leave their influence or to challenge it, is worthy of his condition. His protestations are those of the hypocrite. So, yeah. Uh, There was one other clip I'm going to pass just because it's uh, so late, but uh, Robert finishes, finishes this section off by... Saying that uh, Robert, or excuse me, that Jack Parsons was somebody that went out and followed Crowley's teachings in the sense that he found that internal star. Um, you know, he went and found the purpose of why he was placed upon this plane. And that's what he did. Then he got snuffed. <laughs> Got blown uh, away. Well, he also he 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 is not shy saying uh, that the government killed him. He says it two or three times in this video. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, screamels, and we get the hay it's out. Believable. It's believable. I think it's believable that he got killed. Oh yeah, I mean they killed a the guy with a fucking hydrogen engine. Yeah. Uh, H. Excuse me, the H two O engine, the water they can engine. Kill all of us right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scream Mills, and we'll call him tonight. Sounds good. Sure thing. Hey, this is that. I think, uh, I think I'm being followed by satin. <laughs> My soul is possessed by satin. Yes. Uh, it's so comfortable and soft. It breathes so well. <laughs> the satin. Oh. Going. How you doing? Behind the schemes, guys. Hope you're feeling Pretty good, good and you? You like my outfit today? Oh, yeah. Good. Very satiny. Good. Just wanted to tell Lavish, Happy birthday! Oh, shit. Oh, and, uh, yeah. Wanted to tell Booberry, Thank you! How you doing? <laughs> and, um... Wanted to tell Pfeiffer. Ah! Fuck yeah. <laughs> nice. 
so much yeah. satin. Thank you, Fletcher. Very satiny. Hey, that was Zach. He said so as much in the beginning. His name is Zach. <laughs> All right. So, thank you, Zach. <laughs> oh, Sorry, man. I used your dead name. <laughs> yeah, you dead named him. <laughs> For shame. Uh, when you're supposed to be claiming souls, but that fabric's so good on fleek. That's silly. And the picture that Servo just served up in the chat. Sorry. What was the, uh, let's take a look. <laughs> Girl, is this silk? Wango <laughs> <laughs> Dango, that's pretty nice. Oh, that's nice. Where'd you get that at? Oh, DW Boutique. Oh, you gotta take me a trip down there. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Uh, but this is our last one for tonight. 612-267-999. You can call that number up anytime during the week when we're not on the air. Be sure to, uh, just leave us your thoughts or your screams. Hi! Hello? Behind the schemes! Yes. Blueberry! Hi! Hello! Lavish! Well, it's episode 99. And I gotta... I mean, there's there's so many things going on in the world. That, uh, you know, a nine's a great number. Having two nines at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my. <Yeah>. Nine, <laughs> well, nine. <laughs> have a great show. Love you. That's a very incredibly Jack Parsons move, having two nines at the same time. Yeah, man, if we could have gone for 93, that would have been the, the shit. But, oh yeah, <laughs> perfect call out for him. Yeah, mm. nine nine. It's like a sixty nine, except it's a nine nine. You're just cuddling backwards. Or you're cuddling upside down. I, uh, <laughs> I thought he was talking about a pair of handguns. Big bang pair of nines. <laughs> oh, Kidding, dumb, dumb joke. <laughs> Couple of nines. Couple I- of Glock. Black nine, son? Actually, no, I took that in the completely sexist route and uh, was making a joke in uh, reference to the uh, rating people on looks on a scale of zero to ten. Oh, so two nines together. She's a nine. He's a nine, Well, it's very much like you to be sexist. Yep. (laughs) That's me. (laughs) Bigoted and misogynistic. (laughs) That's why they call him the sexist mothman. Damn straight. Ouchie. Oh, my. Uh, we do this show every Monday night at uh, 7.30, 9.30, 10.30 Eastern, respectively, over at BadRadio.Live. We got a live stream. We got a chat room. We got all the stuff that you could ever want when it comes to listening to a show on the interwebs. Yeah, we have uh, multiple options for streams. Of course, we're on the No Agenda stream, which is... Uh all over the universe, and we have our own stream, and, and CurioCaster, and all kinds of things. It's it's an exciting time. It's, an, it's a very exciting time. And if you want to support Value for Value shows, you can always go to our website, as Blueberry said, badradio.live, or just behindtheschemes.com. Uh, and uh, all kinds of shows that are going on, you can support. So, yeah, come on through. Yep. And next week signifies the big 100. Uh, we're going to be doing live... 100... Uh, what was it? Live call-ins and some music and 
Uh-huh. I think we could have another special surprise stored up. And then uh, mm-hmm. that's on 6-6-2022, if you can believe that. That's right. And what is that? That's 666, baby. Wow, 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 wow. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. Satin. <laughs> Sometimes these things just fall into place like satin. It's been a lot of work to make sure that we stay on target to make sure we line these days up. Yep, and now we can go back to not caring and having shows whenever we want. Hell yeah. Oh yeah, and thank you, Pfeiffer, for being so on top of it and prepared. I, I Reverend. really dug that, man. Oh yeah, I was, thank you guys for inviting me on. I, you know, Like I said, I'm kind of a Jack Parsons nerd, so I really liked the opportunity to come rant about Parsons for a little while. It was great. Yeah, thanks for preparing so much. It was, uh, it was, it was beefy and it was, it was fantastic. Yeah, and Parsons. I mean, dude, he is the guy that's going to get into the fucking front seat and drive. Oh yeah, yeah, that's him. And he's tragically unknown. Well, I, I think that's uh, very deliberate on the NASA and the bookkeepers' parts. Sure. Yeah, so he's definitely making right. a comeback though. He's he's uh he has a crater named after him on the dark side of the moon, so that should tell you everything you need to know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Hell yeah. So Satan-y. Maybe maybe we should try Jack Parsons ritual sometime. <laughs> hey. Speaking of I didn't tell you from I got for my birthday. Someone gave me two square feet of ground on Scottish land. Oh shit! Are you a lord now? I'm a lord. Oh damn! Lord Not Sir only Lavish. Am I Sir Lavish, nice. but I'm Lord Lavish. Yeah, Lord Sir Lavish. Yeah, Lord Sir Lavish the Red. Oh my! That's right. <laughs> it's very official. You fooled I- all the people with magic. Hey, if there's anybody <laughs> like stacking up fake titles, it's me. <laughs> Oh, they're great. Big titles are fantastic. Well, I'm going to be keeping the same title until next time. I've been Booberry Black Knight of the Mothman. Yes, indeed. And until next time, I have been Lord Sir Lavish. And until the next time, these goons that invite me on their podcast, I've been Pfeiffer. It's an art. It's a science. Hail science. Now I am the science one. May the Luciferian light of reason guide you on your way. Rocket man. And I'm gonna be high. I both breed and masturbate to terror. That is very safe to me. Perhaps the devil himself was responsible. But that's what this is, you know. Satanic black magic. Sick shit. This is Behind the Schemes. The esoterica of your dreams. <laughs> Six, one, two. Six, three, seven, nine, nine.